Right, everyone, we are now here in the live portion of the show, and I finally get to bring on a guest who I've wanted to have on the show for a while now, and she's been scheduled to be probably longer than any guest from sort of concept to actual episode. She was the very first person who I've also ever done a pre-podcast show with that will never be released. That is Lost McCartney Media, uh, to make sure we were doing something worthy of discussion, and I guarantee that is what we are going to be doing. She is self-described as a lecturer, researcher, and popular music lover. She's going to be here to help me fumble through an actual moderately serious topic for once with her wit and expertise. Don't worry, I'll still be doing all the inappropriate digressional humour. Everyone, please welcome Dr. Alison Bumstead. Alison, what's going on? Oh, thank you for having me. And oh. um, yes, I'm finally glad one of us didn't reschedule. <laughs> Most likely me this time. So that's yes. awesome. Yes, you're right. I think we mentioned talking- this about, about five years ago, I think. It's, it's, it's taken about that. Yeah. I know. You know what? When when I I was so excited when you emailed me and I and uh, last year and then when I responded, I was like, I hope I, I want to do this, but I can't now. Mm. So, hey, here we are still working out. So I'm very I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on your show. No, you've 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 done the proper podcast and now it's time to actually have some fun. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are. The pleasure is all mine. Uh, obviously, once I'd, I'd, I'd heard you on ACOM, uh, a show that we are so indebted to here at Paul, I think I, it really sealed the deal for me. And something we do with new guests on the show, which I haven't done for a while, I've barely had any new guests. Uh, and if they have been, they've been authors sh- shamelessly shilling their own book. So before we get into our main chat, I thought we could do a quick, nice bit of generic Beatle quick fire stuff just to kind of get things going. Uh, when did you first get into the Beatles and their music? You know, I was I was talking about this with someone the other day. I don't I don't know. I don't remember. And and I think for for a lot of the older millennials, it's and, and young people now, it's a lot of things that are so out of context for us. We were talking about this actually on another kind of mind. It's just like a lot of this information is presented to us uh, out of context. And so I don't remember. I do remember my first experience with a Beatle that in a non-Beatles way, and that would be uh, Ringo Starr as the conductor on Shining Time Station, and then definitely Paul and Linda on The Simpsons promoting vegetarianism, which yes. uh, I was uh, definitely, I definitely bought into that, and we'll probably talk about the vegetarianism stuff uh, uh, later, but I, I remember my first, like, real push towards the Beatles was probably, I don't know, 13-ish, I was really getting into um, 60s rock. And I always, I, I don't know why I'm always kind of like, oh, well, I was, I went through that Jim Morrison phase really young, you know, and I did, but to be fair, I, I loved it. And, and it brought me to Janice and Jimmy and the Beatles and all of that. And then I, I know by the time Memory Almost Full came out, I was a huge fan because I, I got that CD for Christmas when it came out. My mother gave it to me and I know I wouldn't have asked for, you know, I wouldn't have asked for it if I didn't love Paul already. Mm-hmm. So when that came out, I was, I was very excited to, to get something new from them. And then just from there, it went on. It probably um, definitely accelerated when they announced the Beatles MA, uh, the first one uh, mm-hmm. at Liverpool Hope. And I, uh, I just, from then on, I mean, before that, but that really accelerated it into this new lifelong uh, journey. <laughs> That was one of the very first, like, because I remember when that was announced, I, I was, um, God, I'm in my early teen years, but I remember like everyone was laughing, like, oh, you're going to university to, st- to just to study the Beatles and 
now, uh, you know, 10 years after that, it was, oh, you can go to university and study Lady Gaga. And I'm sure right now there are there, there are courses where you, where you could do the same for insert current artist name here. Uh, I could not get, I could not name you a single one, but that would be that would be the dream for me. I found out too late. I simply found out too late that you, that you could do stuff like that. But also, I was rejected from Liverpool University four times, so I was ne- I was never going to be doing that. My best friend went there, my sister went there, and my girlfriend at the time went there. So everyone else got to enjoy the cavern every every other night. Not that I'm bitter about it, sorely. Yeah, <laughs> big time Beatles fan. You don't want to hang out in the cavern every single night. <laughs> I well, I remember um, with another partner, she went to go see Lana Del Rey, and I went up there just just to be be there in like the uh, bit the airbnb and the moment her her sister and her sister's boyfriend left i was straight out the front door headed straight for the for the cavern I, they were, they were, yeah. I, you, I think i heard you talk about this uh, <laughs> there was no other choice as to what i was doing i remember walking past the beatles hotel with all four of them hanging on the huge banners mm-hmm. it's funny you should mention memory almost fuller because I was aware of the video for that long before I was a fan of the Beatles. Like, I remember Dance Tonight coming out. That's so yeah. that's so funny, actually. Probably a very similar similar time frame there. But what about Solo Paul though? How long did it take from Beatle fan to Solo Paul fan? Do you, do you reckon it took? Is it was it you know was Paul always the favorite? I like to say I love all the Beatles. I favor them at different times. Mm-hmm. Paul has been the most prevalent because uh, I think I've made this joke before. Sometimes he's my spirit beetle because uh, I'm <laughs> workaholic. I'm, I'm very, very well prepared for the most part. I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to go and go forward and produce and it's not always perfect. <laughs> Sometimes it's rushed, but usually I have that mentality of, of this is what I want to do and I'm going to keep going. How do I keep going? So I always feel like in that, in, in that case, but no, it's not specifically Paul. I do love all of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. If you would have asked me five years ago, sure, I would have said Paul. <laughs> but now I think I'm um, kind of progressing in, in a direction where I, I just really appreciate all of them. Paul specifically, um, like for my research on him, it really comes from my also my love of rock criticism and then how, it, how he as well as Wings were spoken about by the critics. And I'm just fascinated by that, by that information. But I can't remember my exact first... So that's the thing. I wish, you know, I wish I kept a diary when I was a kid. And so I could be like, mm-hmm. today I, I found I love Paul McCartney. <laughs> he's, he's, at this time, he's only 60 something. I don't know. It's not too bad. <laughs> Going back to your research, though, you've you've recently been published and you've that was the subject of your of your writings. You just showed me uh, off camera, as it were, then. And I guess. Would it be safe in saying that Paul would be the most fruitful person to write about in terms of rock criticism because he's had the most varied and arguably the most passionately argued career of all of all four of them? You know, there's, there's loads of really positive stuff. There's loads of negative stuff. There's, mm-hmm. there's lots of back and forth. It's constantly changed and he's constantly being revised over the years, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. It's constantly being revised. How we look at Paul is very different than how he was looked at in, in ni- late 1960s, 1970s. But there's a lot of reasons for that. Of course, uh, this is a lot of stuff I talk about in the research is that we have a very different mindset referred to like as a, a rockist mindset or rockism, this idea that rock is this uh, high art form. And there's many reasons for that. And I, and I go into that further, so I, I won't bore everyone with it. But it's this, it's 
it's that there, there is a high and a low within uh, popular music as well from mm -hmm. something you go and perform versus something that you create and sing on your own and, and et cetera. And there's a lot of other things that go in with the idea of the rock aesthetics um, or principles that make it up. And Paul <laughs> was attacked with, with this in mind quite a bit. And I say attack because maybe not attack, maybe that's a, a bad word to use. I, I didn't use it in my research for sure, but he was targeted. So let's say the word targeted, that's a better word. Um, they wanted him to be something that he was not. Um, they wanted him to be the Beatles combined. And it's very evident in their writing and, and it's entertaining writing. It's something that uh, I know I sent you the Lester Bangs cream article. I was going to say that was the most fun one to read. Yeah, it's great. It, it is. Well, that's because he's a he's a masterful, uh, entertaining uh, writer, Lester Bangs, and that article is very telling. As well as Ben Fongtoris is, is at that time of a very a changing musical landscape in the rock world and the pop world, and just in general for popular music. Uh, how much it was changing and Paul was changing with it. I mean, Aretha Franklin has this great quote, you know, I, I, I'm going to paraphrase this, but she says music changes and I'm going to change along with it, right along with it. So, um, and Paul did, and he was very experimental and he didn't stick with one direction and he didn't go after hit after hit after hit. He, he went after things he liked and he mm -hmm. um, created things he found fascinating. And I think, um, you know, that just, it doesn't work for some people. They want what they had originally. He was also blamed for the book of the Beatles. John Lennon was also favored in the press. So there's a lot of, a lot of reasons, which I go into in the chapter um, uh, called, which side are you on McCartney? Um, that, that go over that. But yes, and Linda's in the crossfire of that, of course, as a, a wife in a rock and roll band, uh, she's, uh, she's not very welcomed. <laughs> No, we will be getting into that very shortly. Oh, and I, sorry, I wanted to add that you, you made a good point about nowadays how Paul is spoken about. And well, Paul is just still producing and he's produced for so long that he's, he's of course being praised for what he's doing. And the rock press doesn't exist as it did. Mm -hmm. uh, so people, yeah, people go on the internet and they might have blogs or there might be some websites that still have these really harsh reviews. But in general, that, that rhetoric is, it's still there. It's still there, but it's not being published in the same form. That's mm. for sure. Yeah. And none of it's, to, you know, really towards his modern output. Like no one's really had a go at New or Egypt Station or McCartney no, 3 not really, not really. at all. You, you know, you might get uh, McCartney 3 imagined three stars in Q or something like that, like a quite so-so one. But whenever he releases new products, always four stars, five stars, every, every magazine. Mojo would be clamoring to get him on their front cover. The Radio Times clamoring to get him on the on the front cover. It's uh, it's it's interesting to see the constant dips and falls because you know, I mean, some of them are within a decade. You've you've got Flowers in the Dirt, eighty nine. He's he's at, he's at the top, maybe more so in the UK than the states. But then you've got the huge dip in ninety three with Off the Ground, and then by the time Flaming Pie comes comes around, that's also one of his most prolific times in in, in media as well. Everyone loves him again. And then next album, he's right back down at the bottom again. It's very tumultuous. And um, I think if he had done what we wanted, to, to go back to your point earlier, and maybe have just been a rocker from 1970 onwards, right you know, up till now, like, say, the Wilding Stones have, it would have been so less interesting. And a McCartney three of just rock songs would not be easily reviewed as positively as 
a McCartney three that has maybe two rockers, a, a, a folk song, some some yeah. cool experimental stuff, and that's what you know me as a podcaster has kept me so interested in McCartney. I'm going through Driving Rain now, and I'm like, oh wow, I would never expected this. This is really cool, and that's happened every single album, every single time. And I don't know why I lose my faith every time I go into something new. I'm, I'm always worried that you know this is going to be the bad one. You know, I've 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 got memory almost full coming up. I've got do everything onwards from from then, and I'm sure at first I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if I like all of this, and then I'll listen to everything twice. And I'm like, oh, okay, I actually love all of this. Well, and and your your podcast name is perfect for Paul or Nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I don't. I mean, I'm I'm going to be honest. I'm a researcher, so I try to stay out of my opinion. Here, I'm going to give my opinion, and I'm okay mm-hmm. with that because we're having a conversation, and it's fine. But like, if I'm talking about my research, of course, I'm going to try to keep keep out of it as much as possible to be as uh, unbiased as possible. But I don't I don't love everything McCartney does, and I'm I'm a big McCartney fan, and I don't love every single thing he does. But that's okay. That's okay. You put art out there, and people are going to like it or not. And I don't have a high expectation every single time he releases something because, well, one, I still have the Beatles, so. You know, do we have the bar set? And I, I love so much of McCartney's work, but I don't, I don't ever put that pressure on him for him when I, when I pick up a new album. I feel like they come out quite often, so mm-hmm. uh, still, which is so impressive. Just what a machine! But I, I don't feel like I need to defend any of his work at this point in time because we know, we know who McCartney is, and if you don't, I mean, you've missed something. I think I said that with Ram. If you did not expect Ram after following McCartney's role with the Beatles. You miss something. Mm-hmm. And I still stand by that statement. <laughs> uh, um, the initial derision of Ram is still one of those things where, oh, that you know, like wait, wait, when, when you when you look back at some of the more problematic parts of human history, you're like, well, we shouldn't judge people, you know, then based on the standards we have now. But the Ram thing is one where I do judge people. I'm like, you you were all so wrong. Why were you all so horrible? Yeah, that, <laughs> that took me a long time to really. I, I take my time. Mm-hmm. I know this sounds so stupid, but I came, I, I wasn't quite old enough to watch, watch Snipefold. I mean, it, I was old enough to watch it and understand it, but, you know, some of the stuff wasn't quite for, you know, pre-teen, teen, early teen. And so by my mid-teens after Seinfeld had just ended, well, maybe not just, but close, I saved, I never watched the last episode. I just, everyone talked about how horrible it was. And uh, so I just never watched it until I was ready I was like okay because I'm at the end of it for me I'm mm-hmm. at the end of it. and so I feel that way with McCartney stuff I slowly go through his work or any band that I love that has existed for a long time or, or whatever I slowly read stuff so it's like have you done this since like no wait, I'm holding off I mean I hope I don't you know disappear before I have the chance to read it all but I, I'm always afraid I'm going to, everything I love once I get through it all then that's it so I slowly go through certain things and when it comes to uh, Paul and and everything uh, encompassing the Beatles and the rock world of that time period too so it would be very disconcerting if you made it through to the other side the happy place and you're there talking to one of the angels you're like do you have a McCartney stuff and they go I've got Ringo Rama it's like no this isn't heaven at all (laughs) you haven't got it Oh no, this is definitely purgatory. I've got, you know, Ringo's <laughs> Rotogravier. Oh God, no. Oh no, here we go. Oh, of course, we're also recording this at the end of the McCartney Got Back Tour. 
just wanted a quick uh, um, shot of your opinions on his latest live stint. Um, were you ever tempted to go to the Fort Worth show? I, you know what? I looked, and when the tickets were on sale, they were over eight hundred dollars. I saw what you said mm -hmm. on. I saw your social media posts, but it, it does make it does upset me. It does upset mm -hmm. me, and I get it. It's a, it's a privilege. It's not a right. It is, and I've seen McCartney twice. Okay. But to drive to Fort Worth from where I'm at outside of Austin would, you know, with the cost of everything right now, which you know is insane, uh, and to stay there to take off work because it was during the middle of the week. You know, we don't have trains because we're still backwards. The train thing is crazy. I learned that over over five episodes, and because like. There is nowhere I can't get to in the UK. I mean, obviously it's very, very tiny, but I get to every corner of it by public transport. Well, I did. I did have trouble in Scotland trying to get as far as I wanted to go. But <laughs> well, I got as far. I didn't get yeah. I couldn't train to work because I was trying to go to Molokai, and they're like, "No, dang it." Um, uh, but yeah, so we don't have that. So getting there. Uh, and the time off, like two days off, because you have to get there and the traffic's so bad and it's about three and a half hours away from here. And then, and plus the tickets, it would have been almost $2,000 for one person. So I left it. I know, mm -hmm. I know, but I couldn't, I just couldn't swing it. And, but I have seen him, I saw him in Warsaw for the Out There tour Ooh. in, I think in 2013. Now the craziest thing is I was living in Liverpool because I was doing the MA there and it was cheaper for me because he was playing London like a week later. It was cheaper for me to fly to Poland stay there for three nights go see paul up close we were on the floor i've never had floor seats for that kind of show for some other shows but not for you know not for that level and um and fly back and it was still cheaper than me taking the train down to london <laughs> see paul in london. that's england baby oh my I god <laughs> but I, loved it. I, got to, I got to go to uh you know poland i hadn't i hadn't been there and and all the merch was cheaper too oh, so yeah actually I got, the, I got the book with the the 3D glasses and and every all the um, the crowd held up Hey Paul signs when he's saying Hey Jude and then they shot confetti so I kept a little piece of each like a Hey Paul sign that I found on the ground. So cool. right. And then I saw him at ACL uh, recently when he came to Austin. Oh, awesome! So I could walk to it and uh, I mean just incredible. Yeah, no, I mean every every stereotype is true you you know you're gonna sing along with hey jude you're gonna cry during blackbird and you're gonna go wow during live and let die well and two girls uh, were talking just as loud as possible and i know it's a festival I, and i don't quite i don't i don't hush people i don't tell people to sit down because it's a rock show you know you don't need no instructions to know how to rock you you do your thing but this time the whole surrounding shh, and they were like oh. <laughs> Oh. And so it was really funny though. Um, and then they were quiet and it was fine. <laughs> I love that. I love that. What yeah. a great show. Yeah. When my dad took me to see Stevie Wonder in London, uh, he bought he bought like a big picnic mat and he didn't want anyone else standing on it. And eventually people start coming towards the stage and there are edges of feet on his brand new picnic mat. And I was like, Dad, you've got to let it go, man. You've got to let yeah. that shit go. <laughs> We're all here for the same reason. That's awesome that you saw Stevie, though. Oh, yeah. No, it was uh, it was Corin Bailey Ray opening, then with Pharrell Williams and Nerd, and then Stevie Wonder doing songs in the Kia Life. Greatest gig uh, ever. Uh, this is a very Stevie, Stevie shirt, actually. Um, yeah. yeah. And then Ramish, the Ramish shirt. Oh, I need I need to get more. I, I'm still looking out for a, a Magical Mystery Tour sweater vest. That is, that is my dream purchase. That is... 
Wow, I have a two. I have two sweaters. I got uh, one was given to me in England, and it's it's orange and it says Penny Lane across, it and it's a beautiful one. Oh, I wore wow. it in a few I made for one of Robert's uh, Beatles event, Fab Four Con Jam last year, and then I have one that also says Abbey Road, which I think also uh, from BC the Beatles, Alison Boren got it too. So now now the two Allisons can twin <laughs> their shirts. <laughs> The easiest one for me to do at the moment is just you just collect T-shirts from other people's podcasts. I've got an Acorn one. I've got a Blotto Beatles one. I'm working oh, my way through. Yeah. I have a cup, Phoebe. I have a cup from Phoebe. <laughs> it says another kind of mine. I think it's in my car because I drink iced coffee. This is not, I don't drink soda. I uh, soda water, but not Coke or anything. So this is iced coffee because it's so hot here. It's 103. So it's like 40 something in celsius i can't remember high 40s let's just put it in the high 40s that's where you're at if you're in texas right now yeah. <laughs> no we've had it in the 30s here in england uh, it's been like one of the hottest days of days of the year and uh, yeah every, every everyone's just been like monitor lizards just lying on stones just trying <laughs> just trying to keep cool you know i know i just in liverpool when the sun came out the park was packed and everyone's fighting for their sunspot so it was I miss it. I miss it dearly. I miss, I miss England. I miss a lot of, a lot about it. Not everything. I wanted to come to Birmingham and hang out and I'm sorry I didn't get to, but uh, time just went by. And plus all my Scouse friends were like, what are you going to do in Birmingham? <laughs> you can drink a cup of Bovril. That's what you can do. Uh, oh, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> I'm sure there's a vegetarian Bovril. I'm going to look that up right now. Veggie Bovril. I need to know if there is one. Yes, there is. There we go. That awesome. Uh, <laughs> when I trust the cafe ordering it, they probably bring me the wrong one. And oh, up. at my pub recently, we've run out of regular coffee, and we've been giving people decaf for two weeks, and no one's and no one's clocked on yet. Yeah. Well, I would, I would know because I'm so. <laughs> I worked at a coffee shop in Liverpool. Um, it's not far from the cavern. It's a, It's it's really neat. So if you guys go to Liverpool, it's a cool coffee shop because it's a. They say Radio Caroline was in it, although I've done some research and it seemed it was actually a couple buildings over, but it's a cool old office building that's a coffee shop above an EE store and it's called Rococo Coffee. And I worked there while I was doing my doctorate because there were limits on how, how much I could work and stuff. So I worked there uh, for only 20 hours a week. So it was neat. Yeah. Now, before we press on, I know you've been doing a lot of work recently with the youth of today involving the Beatles and... I want to ask you, how much hope is there that the new generation is going to take up our mantle when we pass it on, you know? Oh, they're there. They're there. You see, you see some Gen, what are they, Zers? You see some Gen Zers. Um, I don't even know what the Gens are now. Let's go. I, well, the thing is, is this is what really upsets me. Um, when they talk about millennials, they're talking about 20, early 20s, and that we're not, they're not millennials, right? Mm -hmm. like we're avocado toast okay i do order avocado toast usually because it's the only vegetarian option okay uh and then and my phone i'm not always on my phone more than i used to be but i didn't have a smartphone until i was 27 so they I, I think they think that they forget the oldest millennials in their 40s some of us are mid 30s mm -hmm. and then the youngest is what like late 20s or mid to late 20s and so i think mm -hmm. they forget that not all of us uh some of us still played outside and didn't have computers, you know. Oh, better, honestly, the best generation to be to be alive because CGI hadn't taken over movies yet. The news mm -hmm. wasn't completely bipartisan. Uh, TV was still good. 
that music was still good, and you could you could get four films for a nickel and get some cornmeal as well. Well, I will say that some of the rock music that came out in the late '90s, early 2000s was absolute. Well, just it, it's tough to listen to. It's not my it's not my style. No, early '90s, mid '90s, yes, but late '90s, uh, early 2000s. Hey, I don't want to hear a word against Smash Mouth on this podcast now, okay? Uh, okay, well, I, I would consider them pop, not rock, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to label it. Um, but yeah, so uh, I do think there is hope. Definitely. People are interested. Kids are interested. You're right. I did a, I, I created and hosted a, a free event at the local library uh, in my town. And um, we did three days, uh, the uh, Beatles Saturday. For, we did two hours. And so I did a presentation and then a, a story. There always has to be a book with it. And I, um, I read a, I can't remember the exact title of it. It was definitely uh I definitely favored John in this book, but it, it was one of the be better children's book on the Beatles that would be easy to read and show versus who were the Beatles, which has a little bit more information. So it would have been mm -hmm. harder to read that book in front of the kids. And then um, I taught them how to use a record player. So this is so crazy because they don't know. Wow. <laughs> they've never done it. And so I have one of those little portable, it's not a Crosley, but something like that. Portable fun, do I have it here? No, record players. And I have it where, yeah, you can use the control on, on the side of the arm to drop the needle, but I also have it turned off so they can actually drop the needle. And so I play the Beatles records. Now I would remove the Beatles records and uh, this really cool record shop in uh, Bastrop. Uh, he's actually from London, the owner. He, it's called Astro, the Astro Record Store on Main Street in Bastrop, Texas. Uh, so if you're nearby, come check it out. It's really cool. No, not a lot of new records, mostly used records. But um, he gave a few records, like an Everly Brothers record, Trooper, which I hadn't heard of. I listened to them, all right. And a Cool in the Gang and some others. And so I let the kids drop, pick which, which one of those, not the Beatles ones again, and drop the needle. And they were just, you can see pictures on, on, on um, I'll post them on my website, but you can see it on my Instagram or my Twitter and these kids are just like they're so into it they're, they're just staring at it whoa concentration one kid's like dragging them. I'm like don't do that don't do that uh, mm -hmm. yeah. you know that's that's the rage you know but still I was happy they were doing it and one of the volunteers I had he came up and he's 17 he's like can I try it of course and just fascinated by it because they don't do anything like that you know, they just go onto their computer and, and, and or their phone and it's streaming constantly. And a lot of parents are at that age where maybe they don't have the record player anymore. And some of the parents are now my age. I, I've had students who are 14 or 15 and they're like, Miss, my mom's 34. I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, nothing against them. There's no, no, no shame there. I just mean like it made me, you know, I was thinking, I was like, oh my gosh. That's my age, <laughs> but um, but so some of them just never experienced a record player. I did because I I wanted one. I asked for one when I was fourteen. My dad had one, but my dad my dad's a lot older. I mean, he's he had me in his late forties or mm. mid forties, so he had it. He was twenty one in nineteen sixty eight. So he had a record player and a lot of records. So I but then I was given my own for my bedroom because I wanted one and uh, some really cool records that I wanted to. So but there's hope. There's hope. That's 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 delightful to hear, because no, um I've heard so much, especially uh, talked about the Got Back tour. That there's just loads of kids there, and a lot of that is probably due to 
the Disneyfication of the Get Back series. Um, yeah. I, I imagine there's tens of thousands of kids that were introduced to the Beatles that way. Disney, please buy A Hard Day's Night and Help and Yellow Submarine and the original Let It Be. <laughs> Put them up there. Put Bruce McMouse up there in the Imagine movie and Caveman and Living in the Material World. Let's have it all on Disney Plus, you know. Marvel, Star Wars, Beatles. That'd be the most. I think Caveman, I saw it somewhere. It's either, I think Caveman's HBO. So I don't know who owns oh, it. Oh, really? That's but interesting. It's on, it's, on, it's on HBO Max or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Or just make that would make life easier. Oh, I wanted to add one of the little girls who was there, she was probably about, I don't know, eight, nine. Her grandma brought her, and her grandma said, and well, well, I would ask some questions. So when during the presentation on the Beatles, I I'd put up the picture, okay, who's this one? And you hear George and grandma's going, George. <laughs> She's so and then grandma said, she said, I, I'm sorry, I don't know her name, otherwise I wouldn't, but she was, you know, little girls calling her grandma. So she said, um, she said, well, my grandmother showed me the Beatles. And I said, well, can I ask you a personal question? And she said, yes. I said, your grandmother, when you were at that age, she wasn't near the age of the Beatles. She goes, no, she was already in her 50s in the early 60s. Wow. And I said, that's interesting. She goes, she loved music and she loved the Beatles. And I said, that's cool to hear because we don't hear enough about that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. You know, so it was neat to hear that her grandmother in her 50s in, in the, in the mid-60s at the time, was like, here, let me show you this cool band that you haven't heard of, or that maybe you, you don't have access to the records or whatever. And she goes, I want to do the same thing for my granddaughter. My grandma did for me. So, and then she came to the Dolly Day, and the Dolly Day was fun. And then we did Aretha as well the, uh, last week during Juneteenth in Texas. So, anyways, but yeah, they're, they're there. Um, I see some Gen Zers doing videos. Now, I mean, I'm not going to assume, but I'm pretty sure there's one um, lady, uh, she's quite, she looks, she could be quite young and I mean this in a compliment who does Beatles videos and that I think her name is Skylar Moody. Do you know who I'm talking about? I saw that she did a really cool video on like what it means to be a Beatles fan. And, she, and I think she might be a Gen Zer. I mean, maybe not. And if she's not, well, good for her. <laughs> oh, I've definitely seen her. Yeah, yeah right. So there's presence. There's, there's, um, there's some other um, younger female Beatles fan, like early twenties Beatles fans that are, out there uh, and um i believe uh fans on the run podcast yeah, is ethan well. you've got uh young. yeah hudson's He's young as well and then you've got uh, i just had lucas uh, on who does the ringo rama podcast he's about four years old as well yeah they're getting young. <laughs> oh, I'm, not, I'm not insulting age <laughs> I, I friendships of all ages right and um but I, i'm just saying that th there is hope there is hope there are there are just like just like us mean i used to be the young podcaster allison i used to be the young podcaster <laughs> and now and now i've become everything i hated when i started this over half a decade ago oh wow gosh yeah. and you know after five years i've got seven fans and i'm very happy for it i really am i'm, uh, I'm, I'm very sure <laughs> for that <laughs> well, I, never thought, I never thought i'd even be i never thought i'd get to do anything like this like you mentioned i know we're supposed to be talking about linda but you mentioned uh, the idea that, you know, you didn't think this kind of stuff existed in, in, at the university level. Well, when I, I went to university, I started in 2007, but I didn't really go, go. I kind of went in a different direction. I wanted to be a firefighter. So I tried that. I wanted to be a personal trainer. I tried that, but I really wanted to be a history teacher. I ended up becoming that, but I focused, I, there was a, a professor. I, 
I don't think he actually has the title professor, but in America, we call anyone who's a lecturer professor, which is really, okay. really yeah. And they take the title uh, um, gladly. And um, so I just remember there was a picture of Jim Morrison in the Young Lion pose in, a, in an elevator at Austin Community College where I was going at the time. And it said, do you, you know, I can't remember what it said, but I remember going, oh my gosh, it was the, it was the uh, rock and literature. It was an honors English class. I was like, you can do that. Okay. And then that, that from there on, and I was a terrible student, terrible student. Actually, I had a long conversation with this professor. He passed away unexpectedly. He wrote for circus. He wrote with Frick, Dave Frick and Kurt Loder and all of that. I, and I had no idea until I started focusing on rock criticism in, in the Beatles MA. Like I had no idea that mm -hmm. he did all of this. And I was like, no wonder you were into it. And I wish, I wish that, uh, his name was Lee Moore. I wish that I, I wanted to send him my thesis. I was so excited. This is all about rock criticism too. I was so excited, but then he passed away. Not last year, but the year before unexpectedly. So, but that, yeah. So it just takes that, it's out there. It's out there and you can do whatever you want. You can talk about whatever you want as long as you have a good idea and then foundation with it. That's the cool thing about it. You might not make a lot of money and it might take a long time to get where you want to go. Um, <laughs> and you might have to, do jobs you don't want to do until you get where you want to go. But that, that's, no, there's no good story. There's no good story without some kind of struggle. No one cares about the rich kid who, who did well, like right away. <laughs> oh, let's write a book about that. You know, no, no, we want to know. We want to know the struggle story. How long did you wait tables? How long did you do this? And so, um, yeah, just a, if, if the, you know, your younger crowd is listening, you want to talk about the Beatles? We'll keep talking about them. You'll find your way. No, Whatever. You know. I mean, I'm much more interested in hearing about people like AOC rather than finding out that Philip Seymour Hoffman's son is doing well in a new movie. It's like, oh, come on. He's one of, he's the son of a great actor. Of course, he's going to be, be, be an actor and get great I'll, I'll never forgive the Rolling Stone for giving Philip Seymour Hoffman the cover over Pete Seeger. It's a music magazine. I'll never forgive him. Pete Seeger, Seeger dies and he had a story. He did get a story, but I'll never, ever forgive him for that. That, that, was, that was like, for me, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I understand why Philip Seymour Hoffman is on there. I'm not debating that. I think Drake threw a fit over no reason because he got bumped from the cover, but he should have gotten bumped for uh, Pete Seeger, for what Pete Seeger's done for music and civil rights and, and, and the environment. I just, music magazine, I, I just feel like in the seventies that would have gone to Pete Seeger over Philip Seymour Hoffman. I love Philip Seymour Hoffman, don't get me wrong, but no, um... a long, long life making these decisions to keep doing good for the earth and the world. No, it's yeah. like when um, when Michael yeah. Jackson died, uh, Farrah Fawcett Major died on the same day as well. She never got any cover. There was one with Christopher Lee as well. The day Christopher Lee died, there was another actor that also passed, and that and that got all the media as well. It's 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 how it, it's how it always goes. But I can feel a Paul or nothing digression coming yeah. on here. I'm okay. going yeah. to steer the ship, Sam, steer it back on course. Uh, let's move on to La 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 La, the lovely Linda now. And today, folks, we're going to be discussing the changing and in many cases unchanging critical perception of Linda as an artist and as a person by the media. This will cover her time as a member of Wings before honing in on a look at the wide prairie uh, pre-era and post-era at the same time. Now, something we discussed in our little pre-show was that this wasn't going to be a straight-up review of wide prairie and all the songs there and just... Uh, opinions back and forth and I just wanted to ask you personally now do you, 
it, was that more just because that, that's not your area of expertise or do you generally find this to be the more interesting conversation of those two topics and if so why well as a as a recent phd graduate and this is not a brag but you know you're so conditioned to not have your own opinion at least in the sense that you're you're not, you're not writing like that. You know, you're not writing mm -hmm. reviews. And since you can do book reviews, but usually you have to bring in other, other information and make sure that it's, it's very solid in the sense that it's all tied in, into some kind of evidence. And so for me, that, that's probably where some of it's coming from. Maybe in 10 years, it's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's do a review and I wanna give all my opinions. But honestly, I'm not, I, I write about critics and I love writing about them, but I don't feel myself as a critic in that same sense. So me, yeah, that's just not my place. I feel like, at, not, not at least at this point in my career, um, but I do love the reviews. Ah, oh, that's my favorite thing. I just, I could read them all day long. And I do feel like it's very telling and it helps us understand and put Linda back or put our perception of Linda and Wings and just the whole musical, her whole musical career and, and just the, the very different eras in context. And I think that's very important because a lot of people are lacking that context. Yeah, if you were born in, in, in or if you're in your 60s or 70s, you know, you went through it mm -hmm. or 80s, you went through it. But for others who are out of context, some of this is very useful for them to, to understand where everyone's coming from too. Well, one of my favorite things about putting this episode together, well, mostly you putting this episode together was, the, all of that research that's already been done and how many publicly and privately available sources there were. Were you surprised that there were so many sources that were and were not attainable in 2022, 2021? Sure. Um, this, it's not easy to find. Some of the resources that um, I sent you, you know, I have to use an academic database, which you have to have access to. Mm -hmm. I'm still lucky um, because of the, I have so much longer after I leave the university uh, to use the academic database. And since I'm not tied to another university, I can still use it. Or you have friends who have it, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So you can get some of that information. But in general, it's not easy. It's not as easy to, to retrieve. In the US, luckily, um, you have a lot of public universities. So you can use the libraries. You can use the microform. That's what I did when I did uh, my MA thesis. Um, I took a little uh, time to go to the UT library at, because they have such a fantastic popular music library and go through their stuff because a lot of the uh, UK ones are harder, harder to get into. Mm. And especially if you're not a student, because you can get a, a card to go into other libraries, but they suspended it during uh, the pandemic. So if you were at Liverpool Hope, you couldn't go into Liverpool University at that anymore and mm. vice versa. They had suspended it. So that. That was a tough thing. Um, so there are, and, and not everyone has the same databases. So yeah, that is tough. There are other things that are easy to access like rollingstone.com. They used to have it where you could pay for archives that were much easier to read. Mm -hmm. Now it's just um, presented as it, it looks new and some of the dates are wrong. There's a, a, there's a, a Venus and Mars, Paul Nelson review. And I think it says something like 1997. It's maybe it was a reissue, but it wasn't from 1997. Mm -hmm. so, and um, so some of it is really hard to get uh, when I like I said when I went when I started the wings research years and years ago and then also all my research my, my current topic is teen fan magazines or that was my thesis that I'm working on turning into a book I had to purchase them I had to obtain them because wow. that information just isn't and I created a complete digital archive that I'm waiting to deposit in some type of university uh, there are a lot of copyright issues because of and whatnot but if it's in that university microform setting it, it will be okay 
but yeah, so if you see the, for your people who can watch this, um, you just start collecting all the magazines. Uh, there's a bunch behind me and uh, also on the floor. Uh, and if I showed you my magazine collection in general, it's, it's it, this is the Ben Torres article uh, that you can, that Sam can see, but you listeners can't see. They're in um, a mylar packaging as well, folks. They're gonna preserve. Oh yeah, I package, and then I stamp them and sign them. So, and I write what's in <laughs> But you have to keep up with your research, and yeah. and, and and then uh, also, as Sam knows, I have I have a ton of stuff in front of me in order, marked up, and all of that. And I still don't feel like I'm always as prepared because you're always going to miss something, or you're going to read something and forget where you read it, and that's <laughs> the worst thing possible. Anyway, so yeah, this this stuff is not always easy to obtain. Um, some of it you can. Rolling Stone does have a paywall after so many clicks uh, mm -hmm. that they've started to do. If you have an old computer and you really want to go through Rolling Stone, old Rolling Stones, you need an old computer from 2007 to 2014 and go online and find the old Bondi reader software and the Rolling Stone CDs and you can read almost every single one of them up to 2007. It's not great software and it doesn't update. So they made sure it didn't so you can't access them, right? But I don't know why they got rid of the, the, the subscription I only subscribed so I could get into the archives and now mm -hmm. they've gotten rid of them since. So, and that's just Rolling Stone. The newspapers are a little easier. Uh, some of them are pay, mm -hmm. some of them are not. So it, it, it does take time though. And I'm trying to get a lot of British ones right now to complete what you and I are talking about today. And um, cause it's now uh, going to be an article. And, uh, <laughs> and it's, it, it just takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of digging. And sometimes you just need to know what time period it came about. Mm -hmm. So then you can go into a newspaper and say, okay, I know when this record was released. Usually they review it here. So I'll go to the music section and the Boston Globe, this date to this date. And then you just flip through your microphone and flip through it. And it, it's exhausting. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that, that microfilm stuff, like it always reminds me of like Silence of the Lambs where they've got to find an article from like <laughs> 10 years ago about the killer. And they're just there like that. <laughs> Yeah. completely analog alien technology to me that is anything that's not in a book on wikipedia it's yeah. it's it's so hard to find but what something that i have noticed is as the, so the the kind of format of the show in its inception was meant to be that i list these albums for the very first time after i've re re reviewed the previous one and the episodes have gotten more elaborate more in-depth and more detailed as the show's gone on meaning I'm, I am going to go back to those early ones and give them the, the current treatment as it were. But we're at a point now whereby there are so many sources available for all the more recent albums that what used to be one-part episodes became two-part episodes and they're now three-part episodes because the wealth of information since the, the birth of the internet just meant there's so much more to cover. Yeah. No one's asked yeah. for, for like three episodes on Driving Rain, but that's what they're going to get, okay? <laughs> And uh, just just to warn you now, folks, it's not going to be a fun episode. The first the first one we've got the death of Linda. We've got Heather Mills. We've got nine eleven. It's going to be a real bumper episode for you all. I hope you're going to enjoy it. Uh, you might need a tissue or two though. It's uh, it's heavy. It's heavy stuff. I've never done an episode that's a downer before. That'll be definitely interesting to do. So you also provided a couple of sources kind of around the album that weren't like necessarily reviews. Was that just about getting every piece of related media and getting us wider perspective on the media towards Linda in general? 
Sure. If it talked about Linda around the time of her death, um, I sent you a few, just a few pieces, some mm -hmm. things that I find pretty, uh, a little bit easier. Um, because, because some of them are descriptions of the albums without reviewing it. And mm -hmm. there's a, there's a theory, I, I feel like why that would be, of course, at that time. Um, so yeah, that's why I sent you those. They, then they're just little small pieces though, you know, mm -hmm. no, little blurbs in the music. No, it was, it was all really interesting stuff. And yeah, let's 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 go into Linda specifically now. I, this may be a silly question, please indulge me. But when was the first? Okay, I'm not going to ask you the first because you don't you don't keep that diary. But there is an obvious apparent bias regarding Linda in the media. And how long have you been aware of that? I guess would be would would be the best way to put it. Well, it's it's interesting because I, you know, I didn't grow up with. The, the same type of bias as people did in the 60s and 70s, right? Same, same. Um, yeah, and uh, my introduction to Linda was through uh, The Simpsons and through her vegetarianism and also through her vegetarian food line that is no longer in the United States, at least not where I am anymore. Oh, wow. Um, I remember I've got some little... right now behind me. That's that's yeah. <laughs> Well, and it was different though. It was, um, they still had more like macaroni and other stuff rather than just like the Linda McCartney sausages and pies and stuff, which of course I, I, I um, purchased when I was still living in Liverpool a lot. Uh, but yeah, I remember going to a, a grocery store chain that we had in, in Houston, where I, near Houston where I, I grew up and uh, as a, a newer vegetarian, you know, I wasn't a huge, you know, I was young. I wasn't eating a ton of vegetables at the time. And there were Linda meals and I just remember they, they were expensive for, you know, for the time, but I just remember being excited that there was something out there that I could buy. And I, I recognized the name. I was like, oh, Linda. And so my introduction to Linda was really through the vegetarianism. As far as I remember, as mm -hmm. best as I can place it, it might've been in another way, but that's really what I, I personally remember. So I didn't really know this bias towards Linda because my love of Linda was through a, a shared interest. And then uh, of course, as I really delved into wings, that is when you, when you find the real bias and watching all the early Beatles stuff and the mm -hmm. videos of Paul's, uh, Paul and Linda's wedding. <laughs> And everyone just crying and throwing People themselves crying. on the and, and it makes, I mean, it, we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. It, it, it makes sense why um, all these young girls would be very sad. Their favorite Beatle is going away. But it is, it's definitely interesting how, um, how Linda, as well as Yoko and others were treated, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it, took, it took a while to, to discover that bias. Look, I didn't cry when Kira Knightley got married, okay? I took it on the chin and I moved forward with my life but you know it it is it is interesting because i mean in a rather similar you know circumstance i was just aware that she was paul's wife she was paul's love she, he'd written so many songs about her and from the mid to late 2000s onwards that's when my kind of beetle fandom started and there was there, there was none of this linda negativity it's it's like how i never got to experience the paul hate of the 80s and 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 early 90s and i think a lot of that is because we are now in a kind of post beetle wife hate world where many of the perceptions have started to turn we've got so many new uh beetle authorial voices that we're currently enjoying in resplendent form but um 
I mean, she's probably been getting better press since, I hate to say this, since she died, I guess, it's, I guess it's safe to say. Yeah, and you know, vegetarianism is a wild idea to some people too. So mm. in that sense, that was, was extremely radical for some, you know, too. So th there was also that dis dislike of Linda in, in the animal activist world. Mm -hmm. Not, in the, I mean, around that conception of the animal activist world too. But yeah, I, I didn't really know that people didn't, that people felt a certain way about Linda. I didn't really know the concept of her as a groupie, which we'll talk about because uh, I'm not a big fan of that term myself, especially when it comes to Linda. And you always knew, you always knew Yoko was hated. You always knew there's a reason like that, that you were told to hate Yoko for some reason, but Linda, no, just, she was Linda. You know? mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that's, that's how I feel, but that's, that's what she, she was presented, you know, as, as important somebody, I think my father used to always say it, uh, Linda, Linda and Paul were something special, something real. It's interesting though that you were aware of her first through the vegetarian gaze, I guess would, would be the best way to put it because with Yoko, for example, to this day, she still posits herself as an artist, as a musical artist, as a creator in that kind of sense. And maybe even subconsciously, Linda was never going to be taken as seriously as an artist in the wider public sphere because shock horror, she had other interests. And it seems so damning that someone would not just be totally dedicated to writing keyboard riffs for wings. Like, it's so yeah. weird that, that, that she would be hated for that. Well, and Linda was already important before she married Paul. She was already a photographer and a good one, a good rock photographer. She even has a book. I have it over on my shelf. Uh, I think it's rock is a four letter word. She was friends with other people that are important in my realm and others. It's uh, Lillian Roxon, one of, uh, one of our uh, fascinating female uh, rock critics too, um, who wrote the Lillian Roxon Encyc uh, Encyclopedia of Rock. So she, she already had a reputation and she was it was gaining she was a very good rock photographer and her as we know her photography has still lived on and is still being represented in in uh, museum settings i think the the retrospective of linda left liverpool by now um of her photography her photography and it was fantastic it was so good jimmy hendrix and eric clapton and the stones and and I'm all, um, upon multiple other things <laughs> her family she's a great photographer i mean maybe going going back to what we were talking earlier about a bit of nepotism her rather privileged background probably worked against her in the eyes of people who would want to paint her more negatively maybe a perception that she didn't rise to the top as fairly as others but you know well and a lot of people think she's a kodak she's not a kodak everyone thinks it was eastman kodak and that's that's still a rumor that's still a rumor about her that still exists now most people know that's not true if you're if you're a, a big fan or or maybe you don't know a lot about Linda but that's that's often talked about is that the reason she was a photographer was because she was an Eastman and that's mm -hmm. that's not the same not the same not the same <laughs> they weren't related <laughs> it's um the perceptions of Linda is is such an interesting one for me because I've never I've never even thought that she was a particularly bad singer until people told me that she's supposedly a bad singer. And it's, it's it, you know, it is one of those opinions that is thrust upon you. You know, Sgt. Pepper is the best album. Yoko broke up the Beatles. John was the best. Uh, Linda can't sing. And, okay, there's that one bit 
of um, harmony taken from the like the nineteen ninety three tour or something like that 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 was that was circulated by one of the sound en- engineers, much to her chagrin. But outside of that, it's like you know El- Elton John said she's got some of the best harmonies ever. Why don't we focus on on quotes like that? You know, um, you would get any of the Wings harmonies without Linda. Uh, it's it's so strange that people would turn that into a negative rather than oh wow she's got this really different voice and it's weird how it works with Paul so mellifluously and how, how like fate brought these two voices together that sound so good yet maybe together separately might not be as as good without without the other it it just seems that people are becoming quite uncharitable with how they approach it like they're already negative before they've made their own their own opinion. Uh, which is probably best best why we uh, we we go with your approach today. But um, before we go into the sources themselves, just some some generalizations, a couple here. First of all, I expected, and I wonder if it's the same for you, that the critics would have just been automatically more lenient on Wide Prairie after her death. I was actually quite shocked at how still quite mean they were, despite the fact that she was still not long dead. That was quite a shock to me. Oh, are you referring to a specific, just out of curiosity, are you referring to a specific review? Because I kind of thought that they were nicer than they could have been. Some, some, some were nice. Uh, let me just, yeah. let's go through now. Yeah, some, some were nice. I know there's a, there, I know, you, I, I wasn't, no, I wasn't shocked by any of the reviews. Mm-hmm. If anything, I thought they were nicer. But then we think about by this time, Rolling Stone isn't, you know, advertisers, all of that, you know, different record companies, they, they're, they're much more toned down by the late 90s. We know they were toned down in the early 90s when Jim Derrigatis left um, after panning the blowfish, you know. Um, so we know that that they had changed by that. So, so those kind of rock critics, yeah, they still exist. And there might be other print media that wasn't online that I haven't found yet. I'm sure it exists and I just haven't had a lot of time to, to do all the research, but um, but they weren't as bad as I thought they could be. And mm. I thought some of them were very, I guess I'll, I guess I'll say w- with what you're saying about you were kind of shocked on how mean they were. I was, I took it just as equally shocking on how much they didn't say, how quick <laughs> and short they were. And it's evident they had things they wanted to say, but they weren't going to. They're like, mm-hmm. this incident. That is probably a better way to put it, actually. There was, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that there was damning with faint praise or anything like that, but like even just like uh, one of one of the sources, it's it's it was just in the other CDs segment of, of, of one of the magazines. It's not like, yeah. oh, here's a page spread on Wide Prairie. It's no, no, here's a paragraph on Wide Prairie between two other paragraphs on two other albums. That in itself is quite damning. I thought that was quite, quite, quite in- interesting. Yeah. Well, and if you go back, to, if we start in the 70s, I mean, the, the lack of mentioning of Linda in a lot of them, uh, or the way they refer to Linda, which we have a few to read out loud because they're so fabulous, uh, is equally, is, 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 is in a similar manner, is in a, in a very similar manner, I think so. But there was actually, but well, we'll get to White Prairie, but there was actually one review that I thought was okay from Rolling Stone about White Prairie. Uh, But some of the 70s reviews are the ones that you're like, "Mm." Mm -hmm. and they're on wing, of course. (laughs) Something else I noticed is that 
the majority of critics always seem to be forced to mention something along the lines of she's a mother, she's a wife, she's a housewife, she's a photographer, she's a cook. Do you think this is them trying to genuinely point out the fact that she wasn't primarily a musical artist? Or is this like subtle coding, like prepping the reader to not have quote-unquote high expectations for content that they might... Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think it's insulting more than anything. Yeah. uh, There's definitely definitely some comments that uh, I'm happy to read that uh, when I... (laughs) When I, when I read one and I sent you a, a quick screenshot, and I've read all of these before, but I was looking for something very different. I wasn't really looking for how Linda was spoken about because I was so concerned with just the concept of the rock aesthetics and all of that, which, which does apply to her too. Um, but it was a limited amount, which I was allowed to write like through parameters. So going back and just, fo- like, just focusing just on Linda, it's like, ooh, ooh. You know, actually, in most of the Wings reviews, John's mentioned more than Linda is. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting thing to point out is John, John is in- mentioned or the Beatles are mentioned way more than Linda is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just seems odd that we can't get a review that plainly approaches Linda with the same standards as any other musician that's put out material. Well, they, don't, they don't consider her any other musician, though. They don't consider her a musician. And whether she considered herself one or not, that, that's, that's another, another question. I was lucky enough when Chris Thomas spoke at um, the White Album convention, I did ask him one question because I didn't want to bombard him. Everyone was, really wanted to talk to him and, and I don't blame him. I just said, did Linda, was she bothered by all the criticism? And he said, well, I never heard her complain and I'm paraphrasing because I never heard her complain, but I know she didn't she didn't want to be in the band. <laughs> that's what he said. I mean, whether that's true or not, I, I do think there are elements of that. And I think we all recognize that. Um, but, you know, it's interesting that he said, I don't, I don't remember her being as bothered, you know, by the criticism. And, and it sounded like as in comparison to Paul, you know. Mm-hmm. He seemed more than happy to be on tour with Paul as a, as, as, as a, as a side member. But that's obviously because if Paul's on tour, I'm going to go with him. And if I'm going with him, I may as well be a part of the act and it seems like towards the end of wing she actually had more in common with denny lane like let's just get on the road and let's spend less time in the studio and you know um linda always seemed to be a person who wrote songs rather spontaneously not to a set album release schedule or anything like that just just when you were talking then though i just realized you know there is an alternate timeline out there where maybe linda releases wide prairie herself rather than as like a Paul quote-unquote release, that would have completely changed the, the, oh, the, the, the perception of the album. The review, I think it would have been, um, I don't think she would have released it, mm-hmm. personally. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't that's, think that's, that's a fundamental comment to, to build this episode around then. Yeah, yeah she I, choose to release it. Would she have released it? I, I mean, maybe she would have. I, I can't say that for sure. But I also think the criticism would have been very harsh if she would have released it, unfortunately. And that's not because I think it's a bad album or because I don't think she's talented, but hmm, it's, it's kind of complicated because mm-hmm. I know if I say something, if I misstep here, I'm gonna get raked over the coals for it. But when it's not your realm and you go into it and people are constantly criticizing you for not being a musician, especially in the 70s. You're already criticized because 
you uh, are divorced and you're bringing it, you know, you're, and you're bringing another kid into this marriage, you're a groupie for whatever reason, you know, they call her a groupie. Well, let's just address that real quick. I don't like the term groupie. And I especially don't like it because if we define groupie as a girl, which it all often is, very rarely do we refer to boys as groupies. If we, and there are, but or they are, some are, but it's usually referred to as a girl, almost famous, uh, definitely nails that into the coffin for mm. sure. The movie I'm referring to. Um, she's referred to as a groupie, but one, she wasn't following around the bands just to hang out and listen to music and sleep with rock stars. She had a job and she was in the world she was hanging out with rock critics and like Lillian Roxon and others. She was a rock photographer. And if she happened to also sleep with her subject, that does not make her a groupie. Well, no, no one gives her the power in the narrative that like, it, it's never, oh, Linda seduced, you know. Yeah. It's, all, it, it's, it, it's, it's always, I don't know, she was just there and it happened because she was manipulative or whatever. Like, yeah, because she, was, yeah, cause she wanted to, to hook up with a rock star or something like that. But she... I, I don't, anything I see about her, read about her, listen to her, it, it doesn't come across that way to me. And usually a groupie isn't contributing in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, the way they're defined. Um, I mean, there's definitely a difference between Linda McCartney and Pamela DeBarn. So I, and mm -hmm. I love both of them for different reasons. I have no problem if you want to be the defined groupie as it's defined. <clears throat> and I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing to be. If that's what you want to be, that's fine. But yeah, so she already had that negative accusation around her. And they even highlight that in the Linda McCartney story. I, I yeah, believe they so. do. <laughs> yeah, they do. They highlight that, that she slept with Mick Jagger and that- And Jim uh, Morrison as well. And Jim yeah, and Jim Morrison. And I believe that's where the, the comment, uh, why would uh, I want to let my old lady be in a band with me? I'm paraphrasing mm -hmm. whatever possibly Mick Jagger said. Um, and then he, what does Paul say in the movie? Or Paul's character say, like, uh, I wish I would, I would have one. And she's like, I, I already have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the way they present it too, and so that's an interesting way. And it's actually talked about in a lot of those '70s reviews, like moving past Linda, like the criticisms of Linda being a groupie. And I'm like, groupie? She was mm -hmm. a groupie. Like, even though I knew she, you know, chose to do what she, you know, whatever she wanted to do. She wanted to sleep with rock stars. I never, I never defined her in my world as a groupie so i mean um i remember a couple, of, a couple of episodes ago i was talking about how maybe even the phrase beatlemania itself where especially when describing women and their reaction to the beatles is in itself quite problematic the idea of the groupie and the term the groupie does just stem from the 60s 70s 80s male dominated press as well and, and, their, and their perceptions the woman cannot be the, the one in power in this situation you know, it's all, you know, it'll be Mick Jagger's leaving the bed and running off. It, it can't just be Mick Jagger pining after her in the bed and she's going, nah, I'm, I'm fine, thank you. I'm going to go do my awesome photography job now, ta-ta. And he's the one scorned. That that can never be presented in that way. And it is completely unfair. And I mean, if you want to know whether Linda was a groupie or not, just look at her relationship with like Jojo Lane, for example. She couldn't stand her because that was an actual well, even what she perceived to be as an actual groupie, someone who's just hanging on, just trying to be in, in the crowd and not particularly contributing anything besides getting all of Jimmy McCullough's drugs, allegedly. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so yeah, so that that to me has always been part of the story. I think it's less it's less prevalent now as it has been in the past, mm -hmm. but it is still there are still remnants of that accusation lingering within her history. You know, that's not how I personally see my Linda. And I say my Linda because it, in the perception I have of her, I was introduced to her in a very different way. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, yeah, I, I wish I, we need to move past it. There is a very famous um, Rolling Stone book called, uh, it's by Jerry Hopkins and Patrick Burke called uh, uh, Groupies and Other Girls. And I have a lot to say about it in the upcoming work I have. So I'm not going to say too much here. But if you can get a copy, I would. They're very expensive to mm. receive. If, if you find one somewhere like in a random resale shop, grab that. Grab that, that, that one. That one goes anywhere like on, on eBay. It's like $300. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But they're out I mean, of print. When they're out of print, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, do, I mean we, we know the McCartneys were aware of their criticisms, you know, within the space of a couple of years. You've got Silly Love Songs, which is an attack on Paul's critics. And then you've got on London Town, you've got famous groupies as well. So even, even Paul was playing with that idea of, of these perceptions and he kind of lambasts the entire concept of the groupie because he creates these ridiculously larger than life silly characters in yeah. that song. And he's definitely he's definitely sticking up a middle a middle finger at at the critics with yeah. that one, certainly. Let me Sam, real quick, let me grab I left my uh, little binder of, of other more hard copy stuff folks she's got stuff written on paper this is insane hey there we go the quote on the front of it is from um, the new york times and it's richard um e aaron and it says judge him as a purveyor of catchy pop that's from 76 but i do want to really quickly read you and i sent you a picture of the quote that just lost i, I lost my mind um is that is, when, that the, is that the scatterbrain quote no no there's a few there's so many of them they're little and they're tiny little barbs so in all the reviews in the 70s of wings with the exception of bangs's review of wings of america as a tour as well as ben Fong tours where they actually interview uh, linda some mm -hmm. and they talk about linda and bangs does uh, insult linda pretty bad but his comment is not terribly it's not the the worst comment sorry one second i know that i know i sent you this the other day so i just want to read it for the um you know i have it all in order uh, oh you mentioned wife a lot of the ones say wife linda plunking at the keyboards uh and whatnot there's some some absolutely terrible ones ah here it is this is the one this is from 1973 this is from uh, the Boston Globe, Ernie Santucioso. It's a fabulous last name. Uh, in his review of, um, let's see, is he, uh, he's, he's reviewing uh, Red Rose Speedway, of course, 73, so early 73, so Red Rose Speedway. And uh, he says, Linda McCartney, piano, backup vocals, organ, and grocery list. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I know that the, that, that almost all of these if you're to ask the author who wrote them oh i'm just trying to be funny i'm just i'm just trying to be entertaining but it's uh, it's interesting where they take the shots you know what i mean and, yeah, where, and yeah. where they punch down yes of course well it's not rock and roll to have your wife who's not a musician 
by trade in your band and bring your kids on tour. I mean, this is something that the, the critics have highlighted for a long time. So this is not anything surprising, but that one, I was like, oof. That one got to me for a minute, especially being a, a female. This one in, let's see, 1972 uh, from the Boston Globe by Richard York. It says, uh, Wings, which included his old lady Linda on keyboards. So, I mean, old lady, I know isn't the worst term because you'd be like, oh, my old man, my old lady, you know, bikers use the term. But, you know, it's still referring to the wife. And this is wife Linda, wife Linda, wife Linda, mom, domestic. You see the word domestic a lot in yes. uh, some of these early albums, especially because of her song, Cook of the House. Uh, but yeah, there's there's quite a few. It's it's constant little, just little jabs at her. Oh, for example, this one um, refers to Cook of the House. I think this is from the Washington Post. Let me check my tab. Yes, Washington Post, if it's in order. This is by Larry Roder, and he says, uh, he's talking about silly love songs, or wing speed of sound. And he says, uh, and as for Linda McCartney, whose cook of the house is the album's low point, the less said, the better. And that's it. It's funny because with that one, he gives a rather glowing review of the rest of the album, like even, mm -hmm. even some, some of the more uh, less fondly re remembered tracks like She's My Baby and stuff like that. And yeah, mm -hmm. they, they just go for the throat with uh, Cook of the House. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, oh, the critics hate that song. They hate it. They absolutely hate that song. The folk element that really seeped into the, the, the rock aesthetics in the late or the mid to late 60s is starting to kind of deteriorate here. Uh, they don't like that folk sound a lot of the times. So mm. These critics don't. Not all of them. Not all of them. I don't want to say that because there will be a critic listening or actually, da da da, did you read mine? And so, like, I'm sorry. But yeah, yeah th but these early ones, um, let's see. Um, all of the ones that I've got are from like 76 onwards. So if you've got stuff uh, uh, earlier than that. Yes. Well, the other ones I just read were from earlier. Mm -hmm. Of course, some of the conversations uh, around Ram and whatnot. Uh, I didn't pull uh, Landau's Ram for this one, but that is one to read. Now Landau has backtracked on that. Mm -hmm. Somebody recently on Instagram sent me an, uh, oh gosh. I'm, I'm not terrible with names, but if I don't write them down right away, for some reason I don't remember, uh, sent me an article that he wrote for, I believe the Chicago Tribune where he interviewed John Landau to talk about Ram again. And Landau admitted that he didn't agree with everything he said in the beginning, but that was the environment of the time. And that's what my other chapter really deals with is that concept of the environment. But if we go, if we focus uh, our fabulous cream Lester Bangs one, uh, which I highlight a lot because it is one of my favorite articles to read on wings and just really ultimately what underlines this uh, article um, is the idea that something has changed. Ben Fontours picks it up too. Mm -hmm. he, he says, uh, it sure sounds like rock, even if it's wings, you know, it, they all grapple with this idea that it's not quite what they thought rock was or what rock is to them. And so what's going on? It was a great show, but what's going on? But I don't know if you had a moment to peruse on page 37 of the Cream article from August 76. There's a lot of good quotes about, about Linda yeah. on that. Yeah. Well, this one is, is my favorite. There are so many good ones. And he, and he, does, in, in, he does insult uh, Linda quite a bit, but in Lester's way, which is a little bit different than just making fun of her outright. There are articles that make fun of her hair, that make fun of her clothes, you know, as well as Paul's because they look alike at this time period, which I always appreciated. But he says right here, he says that, 
Let's see. Let's, at, uh, at this part, it would hardly signify to point out that as in the case of John and Yoko, the compulsive public utilization of any woman, wife or no, in a creative capacity for which she displays no aptitude is not only not strike a striking blow for feminism, but is actually inverse sexism of the most uh, patronizing kind. Having Linda play keyboards on stage and a multi-million dollar tour is like hiring a good black construction worker to edit the New York Times and then not even giving him a chance to fuck up, just a desk instead. But obviously not feminism from any angle that drives Paul to put Linda in the band and Linda to accept the post. Uh, problematic so, one already. That is <laughs> starting strong there. Um, I mean, there's a part, I'm sure there's somebody listening going, well, I mean, it's kind of true. She was a musician. She Was she musically inclined ever? I don't know the answer to that. But yeah, there's a lot to unpack with that one. Yeah, so, for sure. So, so is his point that it is not good for feminism that a woman who is seemingly not very good at her job is getting a quote unquote free ride in this band? But Yeah, I think it's something to think about actually. Yeah. I'm not I'm not agreeing with him but it does make me think about that it's is it it's is it is he arguing that it's taking away someone else's chance because I don't think that would be true in the case of for Paul um yeah Les, yeah Lester Nikki Hopkins isn't a woman mate it's not really Nikki Hopkins in the band <laughs> well another so. thing is would would Paul have have written what he did done what he did without Linda Right, that's the same like asking with the Beatles. Would he have written as he did? Would he have created the same without John? And I think that's very, very important. And I wanna point this out because I was thinking about this the other day, prepping for this is that the world was so used to a very intimate and close and beautiful and loving relationship. And when that relationship, I'll, I'll use the word ended, I realize that ended is a harsh word there. When that relationship was no longer which is John and Paul, mm -hmm. people just weren't ready for somebody else because that wasn't the first intimate relationship they were introduced to with Paul. They were introduced to him in this extremely intimate place in the Beatles and especially with John. And so I, I always wonder if that was held against Linda as, you know, this isn't our first great love to be introduced with Paul, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, this might be something I'm just thinking, thinking above, but uh, I, I thought that quite a bit I thought about that quite a bit it must be very hard for someone to know like in their mind know something so intimately and when it splits how does that work and you move on to someone else you know but we, we didn't have any of that trouble with George because he was so held back in the Beatles that when all things was passed came out everyone was ready to devour it and they did it was a huge number one number one singles from the album as well but you know, it's almost like people didn't didn't want a record from either John or Paul till '76. You know, till like the dust had settled, and you know, Paul. Yeah. You know, Paul was already putting stuff out before the breakup. So, well, George hadn't been heard enough. You know, I mean, George didn't have the same type of relationship. I mean, a, a great one, but not the same type. I mean, that mm -hmm. we see John and Paul, and I think that's that's another thing for fans, especially female fans. Mm -hmm knowing that there's this other, there's another creative uh, muse for him, but it's just not the same way. And I think you mentioned that earlier. It's not, she, just because she doesn't do the same thing doesn't mean she's not vital in some way 
two wings, even if you don't like what she's doing or singing or playing. Well, even even at the most, even at the least charitable, I guess would be the best way to put it. Aren't people just happy that she's there to be his muse, to inspire him to keep making more music? Isn't that enough? Isn't that no. enough? <laughs> Apparently it's not. No, it's not. And to them, it's not. And and somebody once, they, they didn't say it, but I felt like they were saying it. Like, well, she, you know, she took this idea, which we just mentioned, this idea that she could be taking someone else's spot. And I was like, no, there. I don't think there would have been another person there. Now, maybe Paul would have found someone to collaborate, but he wanted to be with her mm-hmm. and he wanted to include her. And what's so wrong with that? I mean, uh, the moment he was with Heather, they did a record. So clearly Paul likes to collaborate with the women who who he's partnered he's part with. We've we've had nothing from Nancy, but I reckon she might be very postmodern with being a Paul partner and be like, okay, I don't want to do any of that. I'm, I'm going to be very yeah. much... Too, I'm, too, thing, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. But, you know, she was fucking loaded before she met Paul anyway. So yeah. she, 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 she doesn't have, have to do any of that. Um, yeah. there's, there's another great quote from Lester though, that I did think was quite sympathetic because he's talking about what make what motivates McCartney, what makes him tick. And he says, the obvious place to begin with is Linda McCartney. Forget that bitchy Blair Sabol. Forget all that stuff you've heard or suspected about Linda being a rich bitch groupie who pulled off yeah. a big score. The fact is she takes a lot of nice pictures, maybe too many, of Paul and the kids for album covers. Now he starts off really nice there and then very quickly... He's like, oh, there you are, dear, patting her on the head. You take pretty pictures. Um, so that, going back to what I said, that probably is damning with faint praise, actually. Yeah. It, well, rock photography is now very celebrated with the likes of Jim Marshall or Annie Leibovitz. So if Linda would have continued in that direction, was that her goal? Was that, I, I don't know, you know, maybe someone who knows a lot more about Linda McCartney knows that information or knew her closely but that's another thing is she was still her career was hadn't peaked you know mm-hmm. when she married paul so that's a that's another thing yeah yeah there's definitely some sexist comments from from lester i mean he starts talking about their sex life on page oh he talks about that a lot yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it's just <laughs> It's like, get a room, Lester. You're getting a bit hot under the collar well, there talking about eat at home. In the photo, when she's raising her hand, her fist up, he calls her Prime Minister Goebbels. Cheers <laughs> for Ben on the right. Oh, that's so horrible. Now, that's a good, that, that I'm not surprised about. When he talks about Lou Reed, it's way worse. So this is pretty good. He doesn't, he doesn't hate Linda. I don't think he hates Linda. And I don't think he's surprised that she's in the band. I think he thinks Paul is kind of blinded when he talks about when he talks about her so yeah it's it's weird how a lot of the early linda press seems to mirror a lot of the early heather press and yet linda seemed to weather the storm uh, she she kept doing what she believed in kept making art and pushed you know go back to jim Morrison. she broke on through to the other side and now we're at we're at a point where she can be reassessed where in a way that I don't think Mills ever is no no Mills won't be Mills is a scene I I think if it would have gotten really really ugly in modern days it might be an Amber Heard situation and I'm not saying (laughs) 
But just before we move past Lester Bangs, I just want to say one more thing that he says on uh, page 72, because in this cream issue, it, it's split. It's a long mm -hmm. article. It's a really good review. I, I highlight this review all the time, and I'm surprised these magazines don't sell out online where you can't get any more of them. He says, she, he's talking about her performing uh, uh, during the tour. And he says, she looked like she was having fun and you felt glad for her. Uh, she is, after all, not the first talentless musician to make the stage in a band popular enough to sell the place out. Talentless? That's, talentless. that's, so, that's so mean. I mean, well, I, I think... Or is it like, is there, I'm sure there's somebody who's listening to you who agrees, who thinks she didn't have any musical talent. We know who you are. <laughs> well. But, but a lot of people could say the same about Ringo in comparison to the other three Beatles. Like it just, it, it just depends on where you go with this. But know. Ringo is a technical genius. No mm -hmm. one drums like Ringo. I, I will defend Ringo to the earth. I'm actually working on something on Ringo too. I'm, I'm very, very busy. I do not like to be bored. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm just so excited about all this stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I'll defend Ringo to the end of the earth on that. No, he can't, he's not a great singer. Some people love his voice, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I think he's the best actor of the four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that'll be the day. And, I, and I, I like Caveman, I think it's fun. You know, you see it younger though. So I don't know, maybe mm -hmm. if I watched it the first time as an adult, maybe it wouldn't be the day. It's like he's reading Catcher in the Rye for the first time. He's the, uh, he's the best thing in Broad Street, but that's not a difficult thing to uh, to uh, pull off there. Oh, I've dropped yeah, the well, sticks. Oh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> and if, we, if you want to move out of the 70s, I have just two more little pieces. In Time, the Time magazine with the terrible Peter Max cover for the people who will visualize this. It's a terrible Peter Max cover. McCartney comes. Oh, it's from Time. McCartney comes back. Time. Uh, oh. My issue with the cover is that I am not a fan of Peter Max. He still he still plays like he did uh, the Yellow Submarine cover. He had an art show a few years back and, and Beatles stuff was used. People were walking around with their Yellow Submarine covers to be autographed. And I was like, what are you guys doing with that? Well, it's, it's a Peter Max cover. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> Anyways, but I'm not a big fan of the, the cover. I like the picture of Paul, but it's just some squiggles around it. That's just my personal opinion on Peter Max. I like some of his earlier stuff, I do, but. I actually quite like this article though. The article, yeah. It's it's very sim it's a very sympathetic portrayal of Macca. Uh, it's a nice big expose, but yeah. um, he opens up immediately with a kind-hearted perspective on Linda. He says, "It is Linda, however, who catches the most flack. Linda was considered a high-flown groupie. Attacks similar to ones on Yoko reached a fever pitch when Linda began chipping in on the music. According to her husband, it was all his idea. Um, he also mentions that Linda had a." Uh, a home for, for uh, rock stars, a place that they could crash if they didn't feel like getting a hotel. Uh, it, it definitely gave her a, a greater sense of agency in that in that regard. It was nice that he directly addressed the fact that she gets all this quote-unquote flack. Uh, mm -hmm. But then he also goes back to some of those other tropes. He's like, uh, but according to journalist Robin Richmond, she had a sense of breeding and culture that all these guys responded to. I don't even know what to make of that sentence. Oh, oh, the breeding, yeah. Uh, well, it makes it sound like a rabbit. <laughs> yeah. Well, he also refers to her as a homey wife. And homey or homely, to me, uh, means uh, not pretty, right? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Maybe homey in the sense of domestic, but usually when you refer to someone as homely, it's um, 
it's not, not, it's not usually a nice term. I mean, maybe someone has a different definition. I realize words transcend and people have different understandings of words, but the way I've heard the term used is mm. a homely as in dowdy and frumpy and just kind of, you know, and it's not a nice term. I'm not saying it's a nice thing to say, but that's, that's how I read that term. And she does get criticized for the no makeup and the armpit hair. And, uh, I've never got this. I've always had a, a thing for Linda. Always have, always will. The, the, I think Linda's beautiful. Girl next door. You know. She's only looked bad once, and that's in the Rock Show movie because they give her an awful costume with those weird black feathers on her shoulders. I don't know who signed off on that. She she definitely wore some interesting stuff in wings. I have a I have one more to read, and I have oh it's John Rockwell. Okay, that's right, John Rockwell from the Times. Now, um, the Times. Ah, oh, here it is. I found it. Okay, McCartney with the charm. Uh, uh, is the Beatle with Charm is back as New York Times. Now, I just want to point out the New York Times and Times, for those who aren't really familiar with the rock press, they the, they pick up reviewing music a little bit later in the sense that Cream is or Rolling Stone or, or early Crawdaddy. Now, there is a later Crawdaddy, but they refer mm-hmm. to silly little love songs as shit hot rocking. <laughs> so they're not in the same, they're not criticizing in the same way. Circus, I don't think circus is that harsh either. Sometimes, but not specifically, uh, not specifically to wings. I went through the circus article and it was more of a, more of informational stuff. But John Rockwell does write a lot for uh, the New York Times. He, he, he focuses on wings and Beatles and critics, uh, musical stuff mm-hmm. a lot. And one of the things I thought was interesting that he said, and this is when he also, uh, saw, let me see if this is the same article, sorry. Continue from page one. Yes, okay. One of the things that he also said uh, is that she is accused of having no musical talent and hence dragging down the level of Mr. McCartney's work, which isn't really true since in her live performance, she doesn't have much to do except sing harmonies, which she does perfectly well, and play a passing simple synthesizer line or Mellotron effect. So those early McCartney albums were attacked for a third reason. He gives a few reasons and he's saying, it's not Linda. Mm-hmm. He's like, he says they weren't really very good, <laughs> but he gives reasons why. And he's an interesting read as well. He's, he's, he's not, you know, a flamboyant character like uh, Lester Bangs in that sense, uh, who would have been, I think a great fiction writer, uh, but he, he makes the point and says, look, Linda or not, you're going to judge it the same way. Mm-hmm. And so that, that I found, I found an interesting, interesting piece that she, you can't blame her for, for what you think is bad in the music. Cause she seems to be blamed a lot for it. And she did, she did, she got blamed a lot for it. Uh, Lester Bangs, even back in the cream article, he says, I, I felt bad for her when they all, I think it was Lester. I, I'm pretty sure it was in cream. He talks about how during the show, Denny and Paul do kind of like a little acoustic session and Linda's like, stuck clapping her hands or you know pat legs or whatever and he's like kind of they kind of felt bad for on that one i think that was it all reminds me of all this talk uh around the let it be mixes and stuff and you know oh they were specterized and they were ruined and for the first 10 years i listened to let it be i didn't know that george martin didn't produce that album and so I loved it all the same as the rest of the material. I didn't know that, you know, the inside gossip. 
and it's like when you know about the background to a, a movie and how it's produced it's like oh jurassic park 3 great movie and then you find out oh they didn't have a script when they were shooting and that there were several reshoots and then your opinion of it starts to like Lower Wait, you thought th- Jurassic Park 3 was a great movie? I thought it was a great movie as a kid. I did. I saw it twice in the cinema. I saw uh, first one twice in the theater. That was great. No, no, the, the, the first one's a timeless <laughs> classic. The second one is an underappreciated uh, Spielberg sequel. The third, third one's a, a, it, it's a, it's a fun 90-minute romp. That's, that, that, that's, that's what I'll say. I've got strong opinions. I just saw Jurassic World Dominion. I was nearly I nearly threw up in my mouth. It was, it was awful. Oh, man, I was going to go see it. No, look, if you want to see a Jurassic Park film with eight plots that go nowhere, it go right ahead. Uh, there's All great... you listeners, this is Jurassic Park or nothing. Jurassic <laughs> Park or nothing. Dun, 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 McCartney <laughs> is the best Beatle there was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, it, it, it's so weird how outside factors can affect, st- you know, you should just put an album on, not look at who the other artists are, the, the, the other musicians, the producer, just listen to it as, as a work and judge it on its own merits. Um, that's, yeah. I mean, that's what I tried to do with sure. Um, sure, sure. with a Wide Prairie. But before we move out of the 70s, just a couple of other quotes that I liked. I love the uh, Stephen Holden Wings at the Speed of Sound review because um, he he brings up feminism again, which I thought was quite odd. I didn't yeah. even know what I didn't even know men knew what that was in 1976. <laughs> he says, uh, though the instrumentation of Cook of the House is excellent, the song fails because of Linda's colorless amateurish singing. Those with feminist sympathies will also detest this celebration of scatterbrain wife in kitchen coziness. Like wh- I highlighted that one. <laughs> I, I I love how a man in 1976 is trying to weaponize feminism against another woman. I'm like, that's that's 4D chess. That is that's that's, that's so weird. I mean, they it it, it okay. So I'll, this is something that I find I appreciate in in a, in a weird way. I find it interesting that they feel that Linda somehow is in a way is holding other women back. I and mean, I know we already kind of brushed on this, <laughs> but they felt like they needed to mention that their need, that this thought could have been for someone else. And, and maybe not with Paul, but thinking, oh, well, other women who deserve to be recorded in their mind, I'm not saying Linda doesn't, are not being recorded or not getting this airtime. You're only getting it because of Paul. And that's probably true. No, it's true. I mean, we know this is true because she wasn't musically inclined, at, le- at least in the sense that we didn't know her. Um, so, it isn't, or that we knew her. Um, it is interesting that they they do pick up on that. Which, honestly, as a fan, I, it doesn't matter if Linda's perfect to me, and I don't feel personally as a female that she set us back in any way. I think that's a definitely a, a grasping way to talk about it, uh, because is she didn't release any. Uh, of her own records taking up any airtime or any you know but I mean so this is this is something that does bother me she's in something else she's not doing this solo and being pushed solo so I don't know I there's this part of me that that understands what they're saying like I'm like okay that's a good point to make is it but then when you think about the situation is it just another knock at at Linda it's funny that no one's saying oh well done for this woman for being in a band that she clearly doesn't want to be and wasn't trained to be in just to support her husband 
again, put well, put, put, put a positive spin on it. I not like that. They might be like, oh no, you know, so, you know, there's there's different levels. So uh, I mean, uh, it's it's I, just so funny though that a woman who, whenever she did release solo stuff, it was either under a pseudonym like like Susie and the Red Stripes. Or it was for fucking charity for like animal rights, uh, like like cow and stuff like that. And then she's like first woman on the cover of Time magazine with the photo. She sets she's the first woman to set up like a food a, a vegetarian food company that. Rivaled. I want to say that she was the first female photographer focused on the Rolling Stone cover too, like featured yeah. on the, on the yeah, Stone yeah. too. The Eric Clapton picture, I believe. Yeah, that's in that's. How could she be holding yeah. anyone back? How cool, how cool is that? And just because someone is artistic in, in another place, you, I know, I think we, we put a lot of pressure. If you're, if you're good at this, you're probably very creative and you, you have to be great at this. And if you're not, then ugh, we can't handle that. But there's other things to appreciate about Linda being in the band. If you don't like her voice or if you don't like it, uh, uh, her playing or whatever, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I like Linda in the band. Wings isn't, isn't Wings without Linda. Where mm -hmm. the kids, that's where the name came from, too. So, oh, there's one more. I have one more. Oh, oh Do you cool. Another one? No, 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 no. Please. Okay. Please. So, this is the last one from the 70s. And we'll move on. I like this one. This one's from the Hit Parader. I have the actual one over there somewhere. Uh, it has the stones on cover. It's uh, the stones on Torrance, October 78. And in a section called Spin Addict by James Spinner. Oh, uh, I think I know what quote you, you're, you're yeah. going to say here. <laughs> and this one bothers me almost as much as the grocery list one does. Uh, <clears throat> he's talking about uh, London Town, of course. Mm -hmm. And he mentions Denny Lane and he says um, he has a hell of a lot more ambition than that Lennon guy, which I don't, I love John Lennon. So this isn't, I've heard people talk about other shows I've been on as like linen hating. And I'm like, I don't think that's true. Like we're making up for some lost time for Paul on this one, but okay. Mm -hmm. But then he says, uh, and who cares if Linda isn't quite as pretty as Ringo. <laughs> At least she doesn't wear as much jewelry. Yeah. Oh yeah. At least she doesn't wear as much jewelry. I'll look you up on my next visit to St. John's Wood. <laughs> that's probably actually, uh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's probably actually to Paul, the St. John's Wood comment, because he talks about the music after that. But, and who cares if Linda isn't as quite as pretty as Ringo, at least she doesn't wear as much jewelry. Uh, which could be also an insult too as well, because, you know, women are known to wear uh, jewelry. But that one, I, I know he was trying to be funny. And in some of these, the worst one I ever read about Wings was the Dave Downing Review in um, Let It Rock, a, a UK publication. And when he doesn't even listen to the album, he just talks about uh, he's like, oh, let me see the album that the mailman brought or the record company dropped off or whatever. And he's like, oh, uh, the cover, well, let me see the cover. He's like, oh, uh, it's drying. The cat pissed on it. And then they don't even talk about the music. Like they're just insulting. So it's entertaining, but it's definitely insulting. That's not the only comment about her physically, but that's one of the ones I have uh, with me right now. So yeah. That's that that is a bit horrible. And like the I think the jewelry comment as well is a kind of dig at her femininity there again. Oh sure, uh, dig at her femininity. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's is it what's it um who am I thinking of? Patty Smith with the mm -hmm. who also doesn't shave her arms. Mm -hmm. And people are really are really moving young women are not shaving their armpits now. 
either, which I think is very interesting. So, and Linda didn't shave her legs all the time. And I, you know, that, so where, where's this anti-feminist thing coming? So is he criticizing, I think he's criticizing Paul Moore saying that by having Linda do this, you're making it harder for other women. And I don't think that's true at all. It was already hard for women. It was already very, very hard for women to be in rock and roll at that time. So, um, no, and like it's it's ignoring the fact that some of Linda's best harmonies are on this album as well. You know, you've got London Town and With a Little Look. You know, don't um, don't let it bring you down. There are so many great Linda harmonies on this. Let's not talk about that. Let's just uh, play into the platitudes that are already common. Um, let's 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 move forward now to 1998 uh, wide prairie it was released on the 26th of october 1998 let's let's just go let's just go through some of these sources there was a lot more there's a lot more here to uh, chew on a lot more longer quotes as well sure uh, sure like i said one of the insults for for linda is not being reviewed and that in case anything from our earlier conversation gets uh, edited out uh John Lennon is mentioned more in Wings Review, Wings Reviews than um, Linda is any day. Mm-hmm. So that is something or, or talked about more in depth. Same, same in comparison to Danny Lane, John Lennon is still mentioned more. So that is something that is very, very important. Something that we don't have time to go in depth here, but uh, I always encourage you to find a way to get, get a copy of this chapter and read more about that. Yes, White Prairie. Let's uh, let's start off with Scott Snyder in Entertainment Weekly from November twentieth, nineteen ninety eight. The fact that he gives it a B minus is already quite remarkable. Uh, it's oh, ab- yeah. it's above average. Um, not all the criticism is totally negative. Uh, he still dogpiles on the downtrodden cook of the house, the already downtrodden song, as calling it genuinely terrible. Uh, but there was this quote that I thought was quite poignant. He goes. Though the late wing singer and songwriter Lynn McCartney received little respect during her lifetime, White Prairie, a compilation of 16 of her solo tunes with husband Paul as producer and sideman, isn't quite so easy to dismiss. The simple-minded domestic anthem cooker house is genuinely terrible, but the poignant love's full glory manifests a sweetly unaffected amateur charm and all the animal rights broadside cow makes point with subtle passion. Lots of good, some bad in that statement. Oh, uh, we've got we've got some of the classic ones, um, domestic, amateur. Yes. Uh, so that's him kind of coddling expectations once again. It's more what he's what, what you said. It's what he's not saying here. That's more apparent. Uh, simple-minded domestic anthem as well. Doesn't he know Paul wrote that song? Let's just always going to ignore that. But I think calling Paul the sideman on this album is quite an interesting one. Yeah, that is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the idea that Paul's helping her put this out. And again, she, she, didn't, she didn't put this out, folks. This was released posthumously. Uh, I actually said that word correctly. I never said I never, I never pronounced that one correctly. Oh, I practiced it. Posthumously, <laughs> yeah. It was released posthumously, and you know, it is like a tribute album to her. And you know, I mean, if you were to talk about this album in a review context, would you be doing that as well? Would you be just listing caveats as to why you can't call this album legitimately great in a regular sense? Like, I don't, I don't find it difficult to do that. I think it's easy to say it's, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I feel as if when you, when you're very familiar with the 
the history, the narrative, the discourse all surrounding Linda and Wings and the Beatles and all of that, it might, you're definitely stepping into reviewing or listening in to, to this day, starting that album with a lot of bias uh, when you go into it. So I imagine for some reviewers, they brace themselves in that, in that way because they were either taught or told or, or maybe they just really don't like Linda McCartney or not her specifically, but her, her as a musician. But no, personally, would I go in with, you know, ready with my gear on like, okay, I can handle this, I can get through it. And no, I, I don't think so. I say that, I say that, but I don't know, maybe I would. I don't think so. I don't. Again, not being someone who's brought up with all this baggage, you know, it's allowed me to approach albums like Press to Play by Paul or, uh, off, yeah. or, or off the ground really openly. The same thing happened with this. I absolutely adore the Oriental Nightfish. I love her covers uh, and Mr. Sandman and New Orleans. Yeah. I think those songs are absolutely thrilling. I've always had a soft spot for um, Seaside Woman. Not so much B-side to the Seaside, but, you know, whatever. I like... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Sam. Sorry, sorry. I was just going to say, it's literally a B-side, so I'm not going to get too hung up on it. <laughs> hey, some B-sides are fabulous. And we know She's that. a woman, daytime, nighttime suffering. Yeah, I know. I, know. I, I really like Mr. Santa. I like that version a lot. And and these the, the that was recorded, I believe, in Jamaica, at least Scratch yes. Perry, Black Art Studios, um, as well as I hope Sugar Time was too. I, I like Sugar Time as well. I think those two, I think those are two of my favorite songs on there, as well as Poison Ivy. As a vegetarian, I like cow. <laughs> I just like how she's like gentle creature, trusting creature. It's so sweet. It is sweet. There's there are elements of the album that uh, okay. So step back. No academic, just a fan here. It's not a record that I would sit and do like a listen in a room with and just sit and go okay, let's talk about the record now. Mm -hmm. uh, I know people do that, uh, especially when they release albums. It's an album I like to have on while I'm doing things. It's I don't want, I would never say background music because I don't feel like that. I feel like it does have a it, it is present and is foreground. But I, I do like it. I think it's charming. I think it's it's interesting. Do I think Linda sounds fabulous the whole time? No, to be mm -hmm. honest, I think there are moments where I was like, yeah, um, I wish I could have an album, you know, <laughs> because I want to sing too. Um, but I think it's also encouraging. In that sense that she isn't our perfect singer, like Paul said, uh, she's no Aretha Franklin, you know, like mm -hmm. he knew that, but he enjoyed her doing it. And there definitely is some enjoyment. You would not get in front of that microphone by yourself just because your husband told you to. I mean, some people might, but I don't feel like Linda, she's, she's pretty strong. I don't feel like she would do it. I feel like she was part of it, especially the, the reggae, or as you would say, raga stuff. <laughs> so. I do like the record. Uh, I think that it's something that people should give a chance to. Do I think everyone will buy it after listening to it? No, but that's, that's a good thing about iTunes or Spotify or whatever you listen to, mm -hmm. I'm not an iTunes person. But uh, yeah, in general, I think it's very charming. And I think that it's, it's very Linda. And that's what I love about it, personally. I'm not looking for it in the same reason, the same way a critic is, is listening to uh, an album that they're reviewing to to look for all the technicalities in this mm -hmm. and, and there are some great ones here because obviously paul and a lot of other amazing people are involved too but i think it's one that you need to listen to not thinking about who it is not thinking about all the baggage like you said uh, and those who are lucky enough to do that I, I think you'll find something you can get something out of it it is one of the 
the top 10 like side McCartney albums. It's, it, it's just an important one to get a, a rounded history of Paul as an artist. Um, I, I don't mean just viewing it through a Paul lens. Of course. But there's a freedom to it, I think. The fact that it's not constructed as an album. It's not like, oh, this song goes into this song. And, you know, yeah, sure. Like, like, this is one of those albums where you could just put it on iTunes and play it on Shuffle and you'd get the exact same experience from it as if you put it on uh, record. But I don't know. I just, I just find it really charming. I, thought, I think it's a really cool historical piece. Uh, uh, maybe people are going to accuse me of now damning with faint praise because I'm not just saying it's a great album. I think it's a pretty good record. I really do. Uh, they're, they're, they're I would call it a great album. I wouldn't yeah. call it a great album. So I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't think you're wrong to not use that. I don't, I don't think all of Paul's albums are great albums either. Um, huh. You know, I'd rather listen to Wide Prairie than Strawberries Ocean Ship Forest, for example. Uh, I have that one. I'll probably listen to Wide Prairie over Wings at the Speed of Sound, <laughs> which, oh. which uh, I know is going to upset the Speed of Sound fans. I'm sorry, folks. Oh, uh, I definitely pick and take things I love off of Paul's albums, off of his solo, uh, not just his solo, but also his band albums. I actually mm-hmm. talk about the fact that we still use the concept of solo mm-hmm. <laughs> when he's with Wings. Um, and to this day, we still refer to Paul as solo, which I think is a, a fascinating idea. That's a whole conversation in itself, the fact that the Wings are, yeah. Yeah, um, but I pick and choose it for if I'm speed of sound. Um, of course, I'm going to go with let it let it in because or let them in because it's one of the one of my absolute favorite songs on that record. But do I think any of the other ones compare quite as as much? No, I don't. But that's okay. But that's that's the beauty of it is that when you release something like this, it's it's up for criticism. It's up for grabs, and and it's it's art. And so there's ways to criticize it and there's ways not. And one way is not to go, oh, she sucks at singing. You know, that's not, that's not the point of this. And I think he released it not only for, you know, there, there, there's talks in the reviews, you know, was it, was it for him to have a project to, to continue working with his wife and have this way of mourning? Or did he do it for her and her fans too? Because she has her own following. She has her mm-hmm. own fans. No, um, there, there, there was there was definitely talk in one of the reviews that a fan had sent him or NPR a letter, letter yeah. saying, you know, can you can you release all the Linda stuff? And it's a yeah. lovely coincidence that she had enough material to fill two sides. It you know, yeah. it's not like it's not like oh, it's a, an album and an EP, or it had to be on CD. It all sure. perfectly fits on either a black vinyl or th- th- there's that nice creamy blue one that that uh, you, that they can get as well. I mean, it's really cool that a Linda McCartney yeah. album has not not just a black a black vinyl, but it's also got a coloured one. So that makes it much yeah. more of the of the uh, McCartney canon, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I something that's that was telling for me. Um, I always know what I love to listen to by my Spotify most played playlist. Spotify automatically does your most played songs, and it's called on repeat. And for about a year. I had Mr. Sandman just as one of my most played songs in 2021 yeah. in my top 20 most played songs was Linda McCartney's Mr. Sandman. And, you know, uh, I thought that was very telling. There's, there's just yeah. something about, about her voice and the playing that is just so endearing. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that all of my best friends are virtuoso musicians. You know, they can go... And then I'm just there. I'm a mate's borrowed drum kick going... 
or going bass note, roost bait, roost, uh, root bass note, you know, E, E, A, A, barely trying to keep up. And I do have a certain affinity for an, an underdog story. Yeah. Oh, and I, I agree with you. You know, I was telling someone this, I, I, I go to an open mic. I've been going to the same open mic on and off for since I was 19. So starting in 2007. So let's just date myself again. I also went to the one and one of the ones in Liverpool for a while when I lived there, but I never played because um, I actually wrote about uh, it was a, a no cover open mic, which I argued actually created the effect of a cover open mic, because if you you have a lot of new people coming to these trying for the first time trying on materials and if you restrict them you're going to get the same song every week anyways. Mm-hmm. So anyways, but uh, and I started and I, I was. I wouldn't say, I, I don't play guitar very well. Uh, I don't play instruments very well, I'm okay on piano. All I wanted to do was be Whitney Houston as a little girl. And so I always have had this connection with Linda in that sense that I actually, you know, I wanna be there, I wanna be doing it and I'm not perfect. I don't have the perfect sound, I don't have the perfect voice, but, and that's part of what I love about her voice is that it's like Neil Young, it's not perfect, it has, it's, it's something you can relate to, which I know can be insulting to say that as well, because it sounds like I'm saying it's like, oh, it's like a normal everyday voice. But that's not what I mean. I mean, in the sense that there's no fluff in there. There's no uh, diva. There's no boastfulness in her voice. I feel like it's just, I'm Linda. This is how I sound. Okay, here I go. And here I go. And that's what I love about listening to her, Mr. Sandman, because I think it's perfect for her voice too. No, um, um, rather rather like Ringo, actually. Uh, she was probably better at doing covers than she was having material written for her because she just knows her own sound yeah. and her own style. I mean, I think a, a, a huge part of, especially like the folksy stuff in Wings, has such an inclusive, welcoming atmosphere, like almost campfire type thing. Yeah. A lot of that is down is down to Linda's voice. That, you sure. know, Bluebird, uh, Don't Let It Bring You Down, Country Dreamer, I Lie Around. So much of that is just, it's, it, it was it was homely. No, it's not, I'm not going to use that word. Uh, <laughs> it was, you know, it's just inviting and welcoming and yeah. warm, which is always yeah. how, how she is described as a, as a person. And that definitely translated into the music. Now, I have heard her described negatively. I can't remember where I read it, but they talked about her treating Rose poorly. Mm. Um, and other stuff and just being bossy and whatnot. But, you know, at the same time, we all have our days. And if that's what you witness, maybe that's how she's colored to somebody. But mm-hmm. in general, I've only heard good things. Mm-hmm. But we all have our, we all have our moments. We all have our elements. Um, I wanted just to, to piggyback on the last review you read. This is from Rolling Stone. This is from Anthony DeCurtis in 98. So this is uh, let's see, Wide Prairie was released in October 98, right? I believe October 25th. She died in April of 98. And so her record was being reviewed by, mm-hmm. by November, of course. Uh, you, you have to give them a little time. And he says in Rolling Stone, in a very short review, very short album review, it just says, uh, Wide Prairie makes no grand statements, nor any appropriate, inappropriate claims for Linda McCartney as a significant musical talent. It's the expression of a woman who was actively enjoying her life. And it's, and in its ease and open-heartedness, it encourages everyone who cared about her to do the same. I like that one. 
I like that. I like this one too, because it, although it does say, it doesn't make any claims that she's a significant musical talent. But at the same time, and this is why I said, I felt like some of the reviews were quite, quite tame at this mm -hmm. time, because she didn't release it. This was months after her death. And, you know, people loved Linda as we were just talking about. And so I do think they were written in a certain way and it reflects, but by 2022, they're, they're written even more lovely. So our 2019, 2018, and then going back up <laughs> the correction. Um, so I do like that a woman who's actively enjoying her life and it's ease and open heartedness encourages everyone who cared about her to do the same. So I think that's, that's quite beautiful. Yeah. It, it just makes me think of students over the years who really want to be successful in an area that's not necessarily their forte and something that no matter how hard they practice, it's not, it's not their best thing. I always think of Ravi Shankar's comment to George and, and paraphrasing the idea that, you know, guitar is what, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you, it takes years and years and years to master one thing, let alone two. But I also like the, this idea that you go out there and you explore and you try and you do, and it might not be your best thing. It might not be to everyone else's taste, but you're doing and you're trying and you're, you're sampling what's out there. And I think that's, that's the, the, the general warmness of that comment. So I thought that was a, a nice review in that thing. I'd love him to write that exact same comment about this podcast, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Paul or Nothing makes no grand statements nor any inappropriate claims for Sam Wiles as a significant podcasting talent. <laughs> it's the expression of a man who is actively enjoying his life and in its ease and open heartedness, it encouraged everyone who cared about him to do the same. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have that. I'm going to have that framed. <laughs> yeah. And there's oh. a, that, yeah. That's a, yeah. That makes me laugh. Uh, I, I always say that we're unapologetic. We make no apologies. Apologies. <laughs> I've got, that's what I've got on one of my t-shirts actually. Uh. <laughs> no apologies. Uh, yeah, I definitely, actually in Great Scouts Humor, one of my favorite people in Liverpool, he's a, a, a local DJ, Joe McKechnie. He, and a dear friend, uh, I posted up uh, on, just on, I don't post everything on Twitter because Twitter I feel like is so open. Whereas I feel like Instagram and Facebook are a little bit more, you know, tucked away, especially because I keep my Facebook private. So if, if you guys want to- There's wanna, no retweets. Yeah, you're Twitter. right, you're right. Yeah, and it doesn't go on to Knitter, which Knitter is taking all my, you know, all your tweets and it repeats them so they don't disappear, which I don't have anything to disappear, but it, I don't like that it does that because it it's permanent. So uh, for as long as they're around, but anyways, I posted uh, something on somewhere, Facebook or Instagram, and I talked about uh, how I moved to Liverpool because of Paul. You know, I studied this and I got my PhD because of Paul. Without without the Beatles, without Paul, without all of this, I wouldn't be quite the same person I am today. Now, I'm not saying that they're only things that influence me. Of course not, but... Oh, that's when you called him your Mozart. I remember that, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, he's my Mozart for those who have their Mozart, you know. And um, and then he uh, he wrote... Just underneath the comment, he just wrote, don't blame Maka for who you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's typical Scouse humor too. I was like, oh, I laughed so hard. He's like, don't blame Maka for that. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, well, since Paul wasn't my first podcast, I probably have to blame Tom Waits for where I am right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I haven't, I haven't fallen into the Tom Waits fan pit. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean I, I know when you go down that rabbit hole, you don't come out. I know some Tom Waits fans. Way down in the hole. Um, Way down. No, uh, Tom Waits was even on one of the Rolling Stone uh, covers from the 70s. It was like, Tom Waits wants to be a 3D man. That's on, that's on one of the front of one of the ones you, uh, you sent me. Uh, I, was, I was very excited. I was like, ooh, it's Tom Waits. um so in general i I feel like a lot of these were really kind some people just talk about like um i I think in the scotsman in 98 allison gray talks about paul reveals the lasting record uh, a lasting record of lovely linda which is a great Mm -hmm. a great title uh but it definitely talks about the uh, photographs released at the same time Mm -hmm. more than the actual record um, so the, the writer was clearly interested in that part of her because Linda was a fabulous um, photographer in that case. Uh, so that whole thing wasn't necessarily about, wasn't about the record, it was about that. And then um, I know that you have all of these in front of you as well. There's a good, there is a negative one. I say negative, but it's nothing like it was in the 70s. So uh, what's it, Linda's last salvo hits a bum note. Yes. Yeah, the Carolyn Sullivan one from The Guardian, I believe. Uh, Even close proximity to one of this century's greatest musical talents cannot make someone a musician if the raw material isn't there. Linda's singing was the kind that should have been restricted to the bath. Her piano skills were passable at best, and her songwriting was about as good as yours or mine. Both single and album just give critics more ammunition now she's actually literally just said as a negative what we just said was one of the the, the greatest positives that her her yeah. singing and songwriting was about as good as yours or mine yeah and that and, and that seems to come from this rock journalism criticism that all of these rock and roll talents they are sure. they are meta humans they are above us we can only aspire to be them and it seems to be a very outdated uh, perception and that's the thing is, is like, I, I get it. I get what you want to listen to. I get we need to celebrate, you know, the American individualism, you know, this idea that this person's great versus this person because they have more talent or whatever. But what's so wrong with celebrating someone's music, even if they're not? And I don't want to say she's not a talented singer, but if she's not uh, your typical famous style of voice, what's so wrong with that? I mean, the music, the background was there. Uh, the instrumental was there. It, it, and her presence was there. And if you like Linda, you probably like her music. Now, I'm sure there's lots of Linda fans who don't like it. I, I've met plenty of them. I'm sure you have. But I do like the way she ends this article, though. This is kind of, uh, well, she does say, she does say this. She, uh, right before, she, like, right after that comment you said, um, uh, she says, Wide Prairie was panned on its release last autumn, albeit more mutedly than usual. And that is true. And this is what I... I thought it was, because this one came out in 99 in January, mm-hmm. not a little later. Now she, she did write another one too. There is another one, but she does say this, and this is interesting. And I thought we could discuss this last comment on here. There, she says, there are better ways to remember her, one reviewer pointed out. And indeed there are. Buy one of her cookbooks, eat one of her veggie meals or visit one of her photo exhibition, uh, exhibitions instead, sorry instead so mm-hmm. i mean so what do you think about that like there's part of me that thinks that that is it's it, it's nice for her to mention that like this woman's not without 
uh, you know, salvageable qualities. But I also feel like, A, if you are going to do a music a music critique, then you should just, like I say earlier, just review the music as is without any of this ancillary information to either improve or disparage no. your, your, your opinion. I know. It, I mean, I'd like the, the I'd like these things to be viewed in a vacuum, even even if they can't be. But yeah, it is it is pretty touching that she would at, at least say, you know, hey, she may not have been a good musician, but she was important in these other ways. Um, sure. She she also touches on on a point almost conspiratorially in a completely unnecessary fashion, because uh, obviously Linda says fuck and the light comes from within, and therefore oh, yeah. it was it was like. Uh, either banned in some places or it had a parental guidance sticker on it and she's like stupid dick as well yes um the ten- there's a tendency for people to claim that their records have been banned when in fact that they're not being played because they are crap and <laughs> i'm like okay, okay and your point here is what like do, do, do you think the radio stations would have been clamoring to play wide where like wide prairie without a swear word in it I don't think they would have. So I, 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 it's really yeah. strange what, what her point was. Well, and, and what was it? Uh, what was I going to say to that? Uh, I think they sold in the first, now, at least in the UK. Now, I saw this this number in the UK. I don't know if it's worldwide. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2,500 copies when it for the first week of release. So I think it, it I believe they said something on the lines of uh, it was a disappointment to Paul or, or, you know, to fans or whatever. But Oh yeah, no, sorry. It's here uh, from from the Sunday Mirror. It's called the Diary: Poor Sales of Linda McCartney album. Bosses at record giant EMI are trying to contain their disappointment at the sales of Linda McCartney's posthumous album *White Prairie*, released last month. It so far failed to enter the charts and sold fewer than twenty five hundred copies. It's a great pity because Paul put his heart and soul into the project by giving interviews and promoting it on radio, but it just doesn't look like it's taking off. Says an anonymous insider. Yeah, oh, like he got claws. That's bitchy. That is wow. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, and there are some that just that that just mention her. I do I do agree with Caroline that there's um, it was nicer. I know you said you thought it was kind of mean. I I thought some of them were, but for the most part, they were quite nice. Actually, in '98, just a few months before that one came out, Caroline Sullivan came out with music, Say Cheese, a collection of Linda McCartney songs, question mark. At least she was brave, says Caroline Sullivan. <laughs> Linda McCartney, Wide Prairie, and talks about that. So I think that's that's an interesting one. Le- at least she was brave. Mm-hmm. And I think she's like, she, she's like, this difficult one, this starts off with that. It sounds so British. Difficult one, this. <laughs> Sniffing gold chunk, yeah. It's, yeah, it's whatever. Yeah, <laughs> difficult one. This whatever Linda's McCart- Linda McCartney's undoubted virtues as a photographer, cook, and animal rights activist. She wasn't a musician. Indeed, by her own admission, she never wanted to be until her husband insisted she join the post band uh, Beatles band Wings. Now, I do have a quote from Paul. In let's see, I have it right to where to go. Where to go? I think it's in The Guardian. In The Guardian in November of 2010. And uh, in an interview, he says, um, he the interviewer specifically says, uh, we know that, you know, isn't it, isn't it, haven't you said that you didn't want female voices on Beatles records? And Paul says, oh, he says, you've got a scoop. And then it says, what, what it boiled down to though, he says, was this, 
was that he simply wanted Linda around for love and companionship in the studio on tour. And he quotes, he says, everyone had every reason to slag her off. In fact, there was no reason for anyone to support her, but I knew what I was doing, as did John having Yoko on his records. He didn't think she was Aretha Franklin. Okay, he said that about Yoko. I, I said that about Linda earlier. Mm -hmm. He was in love and he wanted to make something new, something of his own making. It was to do with intensity of feeling and looking back on it, he was absolutely right. Everything they did, I think was good. John had proved himself a master in conventional terms and joining up with Yoko. Uh, he was about to prove himself in, an un in unconventional terms, which I think was beautiful to say, in, in ways that was in both our thinking. So that's in 2010 and his comments on Linda being in the band as well as Yoko in the sense that they knew what they were doing and they wanted him there. So, but the fact that he said everyone, in fact, everyone had a right to, to dismiss her. And I think that's more and more candid of, uh, or uh, yeah, just, just, Paul doesn't usually say things like that about Linda. So mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. That is quite candid actually. Uh, it's also funny that even when Paul is talking about Linda, John still comes up and dominates the quote. Uh, <laughs> that was Paul himself. Yeah. <laughs> like can't escape. He's lost two great loves in his life. Yeah. You know? Um, no, um, but uh, modern Paul is incapable of not bringing up John the Beatles in modern interviews. I never told you about how I came up with yesterday. Oh no, Paul, please don't tell us this again. <laughs> um, did, did, did I tell you that I do a cover of Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite? Yes, we know, Paul. We know. <laughs> We know, we know. I, um, yeah, I think that, uh, yeah. Anyways, but so that, that's interesting to think about too. So whether we can move past whether we think she was a musician or not to, to considering these reviews. And, and I think that earlier, um, uh, DeCurtis, Anthony DeCurtis said it well, like, you know, there's no, there's no claim that she's this grand musician. It's not what this is, was released for. There's no claim that there's no, there's no um, disclaimer either, but there's no claim that she was this fabulous musician. It's it's for you and you to decide at this point. So um, it's not in this section, but we are going to move on to the modern era very shortly. Modern. Um, sure. But one of them talks about Linda as like it's what it's a great revisionist concept that it's actually quite punk of her to to do what she does in her own way. In that she might not have. Uh, a cachet of conventional talent and that's actually more punk than a lot of people and i i really resonated with that comment i thought i thought that was quite interesting because i mean the idea that punk is just going against the the common narrative and the way things are supposed to be done and the fact that linda would do songs and just do them her own, her, her her own way to to hell or high water at you know great expense you know studio time isn't cheap these the the all the backing singers aren't going to be free either uh she's probably doing it knowing it's going to be made at a loss and sure. the, fact, the, the fact that she sure. still does it is is still is still very very respectful um one last one we've got uh neil spencer from the observer in 98 he i feel like if i hadn't mentioned that this was from 98 you would have guessed that this was written in 1976. Um, he says, Linda's recent death adds poignancy to these Morris collected works. Yet, even Paul's loving notes and attentive productions can't do much for Linda's karaoke standard vocals. And he ends with, Linda's pies, it must be said, are more impressive. And it's like, oh God, did, did, yeah. did you have to end it on that note? It's so disparaging, so like, 
waving of the hand that I really didn't like that one at all. Yeah, it goes back to like like uh, Sullivan's review is, is the idea that she, does she need to do this when she is, is talented in these other areas? Unless he didn't like the pies too. Yeah, but like, I mean, I mean, Paul gets that as well when like he was releasing Blackbird singing and all of his poetry. Oh, why is, why is Paul focusing on poetry? Why isn't he getting driving rain out quicker? It's like, because he does what he wants to, man. He's a millionaire. He doesn't have to do yeah. anything for you. He also, he also has the ability, and I can see why people would complain about that. They're like, well, even if I wanted to do all these fabulous things, I wouldn't have the, I wouldn't have the money or the time to do those things. And so there is that... There's that, under, there's that understanding of that. I, I do, I don't come from a privileged background. So there, sometimes it is like, ah, oh, this person got to do this because of this. And that's what Bang says. And that's what everyone else says about Linda. And you're right, that might be true, but she knew she wasn't the best musician. She mm-hmm. wasn't seeking to be a musician. And then she just did what she could with it and what she wanted to do with it. And, and so, yeah, it is punk rock in that sense. So mm-hmm. again, whether um, her talent is there in your mind or not, yeah, you know, it's not like she's trying to present herself as this Renaissance woman. No, but, and that's what and that's what the critic says. It's like there's there's no there's no claim here that she's fabulous. Just you don't like the record, don't buy it. <laughs> you know? Right. Let's let's move forward to 2001 and then to 2019 and onwards. Yeah, there's an interesting one from Philip Norman in the Daily oh. Mail. And yes. uh, this is just a, like an autobiographical puff piece about McCartney, which is kind of framed around the death of Linda and his introduction to Heather Mills. Obviously, it's 2001. It's around that time. But even in the abstract for the work, the little quote that just says what the, what, what the thing's about, he, he has this quite damning statement. He says, a few months after Linda's death, McCartney released her solo album, Wide Prairie. It was as if he had sought to win over rock tr- critics 20 years earlier who had derided her appearances with Wings. Unfortunately, the best that most pro-McCartney reviewers of Wide Prairie could say was, nice try. And yeah. I, I think we've already demonstrated that that's just flat out not true. There were a lot nicer things said about it than nice try. Again, he, I think he's being very uncharitable here. He's probably got his own opinions that he's pushing through here. And the and the and the idea that Paul would release this album in a silly love songs vein to try and beat over rock critics who had who had scorned him is a clearly a, a, a gravely misunderstood reading of the situation. Well, we know that some of our authors that we're reading right now aren't the biggest McCartney fans. Mm-hmm. What they read about McCartney. And uh, he, he does he does go on about, yeah, it's not a specifically about Wide Prairie. It does talk about uh, Linda somewhat, but not as much uh, as you would hope at this time period. It's definitely more focused on Paul, but he does mention that, uh, what does he say right here? He says that, uh, what he's talking about Paul again, he's like, he was determined to win respect for Linda, whom he married in 69, and who was initially viewed as little more than a high-class American groupie uh, by whom once again on that one. And he talks about like her treatment as a fan or um, by fans and whatnot. But he does say that Linda's lack of musical ability, either instrumental or vocal, aroused a chorus of derision derision from the critics. So, and that's true, it did, it does still now. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's all I'll say about Bill Moore. Yeah, 
it's it it seems funny that uh, the wider fan base for of uh, McCartney fans were more readily accepting for Paul to move on to Heather th- three years on than they were to accept that John and Paul was over. Uh, yeah, seemed yeah. quite telling actually. Seems yeah. quite telling. But yeah, uh, White Prairie was reissued on the 2nd of August 2019 on Black Vinyl and on Creamy Blue. And things start to change here. The first one we're going to talk about here feels very new wave Beatles fan. Jason Green writes for Pitchfork Review. And um, he definitely tries to make some effort to right some of the wrongs of the past with this piece. Sure, Uh, absolutely. And as with Yoko, Linda became an instant magnet for misogynist hostility. She was an interloper, a non-talent, leading her genius husband astray. He, uh, he, he actually even quotes a source that we didn't get here, which is great as well. The resulting album was released to a resounding silence shortly after her death. Just to note, as gently as possible, that White Prairie is not any good, wrote the Washington Post. And that, once again, was it. Yes, there are yeah. painful moments here particularly her attempts at a howdy partner-style country accent, but she and Paul shared a musical chemistry as enviable and singular as John and Yoko's, and as emblematic of their shared interests. The songs here glow with the comfort and warmth of domesticity. So there's um, there are certain hangovers from a lot of these uh, in yeah. terms of in terms of language here. It's definitely you know that you know that chart where it shows like fish going up into man and the monkey stands up a little bit more every time but there's still parts of the previous animal behind it. Yeah. yeah the tide is uh, certainly getting further every time though further up the beach yeah yeah this review is interesting because at the same time we also have from 19 we have one from kenneth lomax so which is his is a little different i think it's reminiscent of the end of some of those comments like um like Dick Curtis's uh, idea that, hey, you know, this wasn't making a big statement. It's Linda, like her or not type thing, or focus on this. We should celebrate Linda. So I think that that that's still, yeah, that still resi- resonates. I think any song about cooking and being the cook of the house is going to always seem as a domestic song. Although the, the issue here isn't the domestic side of it or using that word, it's how we view it, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's something that's really important to think about as well as is what's so bad with being a housewife, right? Um, no, so, there, there is so much to talk about in terms of Linda being derided for going into a pre-established gender role, I think, uh, and the idea that she was happy doing that. I mean, well, I mean, she, oh, sorry. I was going to say, surely a true, I mean straight white cisgendered male not gonna tell people what feminism is but it, from my opinion surely the the better form of an accepting feminist society would be that you can be you know boss lady and you can you can be a high a high-powered lawyer or astronaut or you can be a housewife if that's what you choose to do and that's what you are happy doing and she was happy doing that whilst also running a multinational multi-million uh, pound uh, food food company and making music and doing photography and making calendars so it's not like she was just sit, sitting at home whipping up some eggs with a whisk all day yeah even the notion that 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 that, that, that she was a domestic goddess is an incorrect skew yeah i mean just the i mean 
woe betide her for liking to cook for her husband every now and then. I remember I I I had a partner who very much took umbrage with the line from Ooh You, you know, cook like a woman. Ooh. She did not like yeah. that at all. I never played that song in front of her again. I just think the whole view of Linda as being a bad feminist for yeah. for enjoying the domestic life seems to be very backwards to me and going against yeah. what the movement should well, be going towards. I agree. And and the idea that I think people were turned off, you know, this is the time of our, just after the feminine mystique and all of this and that early, uh, the mid sixties into the late sixties. And, and this idea that, you know, feminism is one, feminism is one thing versus the other. Mm-hmm. And that certain things hold women back. And, and of course there are certain things that do, but with Linda, I think, with some people, they look at it like um, you gave up your career as a journalist and rock carver, right? Uh, I know her very close friend, Lillian Roxon, felt that way. Uh, they stopped speaking. Uh, and there's there's other reasons for that. She's rock press. She's married to one of the famous, most famous rock stars. Lillian was offended by not speaking. And then she uh, panned McCartney in the press really bad. Now, Lillian died a few years ago. Uh, later of an asthma attack. And I think Linda reflected on that, felt bad for not staying in touch with one of her very close friends. But, you know, Linda gave up all of that and then she became a wife and a mother. She was already a mother, by the way, and, mm-hmm. and a divorced one working with all these rock stars and being awesome. So she already was breaking that idea. And like I say divorce, I don't mean that in a negative way at all. Mm-hmm. But she, you know, she was already breaking these stereotypes and then she marries Paul and they have this very, uh, if you look at the cover of Life, which I have right behind me, I don't want to reach back, but uh, the one where he's at the, uh, when they're at the farm and they have the the shepherds uh, cook and then, you know, the family, they just have that look of this very domestic style uh, uh, life. But I think that's actually pretty liberating that she just went off and did this. It's not like she was forced to do it. I mean, maybe to some extent she, you know, that's what Paul wanted to do and she agreed and she didn't want, specifically want to, but she, you know, there's, there's liberation in changing your career and doing something different like that. It's such a silly notion um, that because you're a good cook, you're a, or or you want to do that stuff that it's anti-feminist. Yeah. I mean, anyone who knows all the stories about Linda knows that she was incredibly headstrong and you know, yeah. you, you might be able to get through NPL and the press agent, but if you wanted to get to Paul, you had to go through her first. And that was, she was the final boss in that video game level. And, yeah. you know, I would rue the day anyone would cross Linda, would, would cross Linda McCartney because she, she was always fiercely defensive of Paul as yeah. well. I mean, and that's reported. I mean, that, that is well documented. That's what I was talking about with earlier. Some people find her abrasive in that sense, but yeah, definitely. In that same review you were looking at, the Pitchfork one, there's another comment that I liked. Oh, okay. A few pages over, she says, Why Prairie is silly and exuberant, almost, or he says, almost relentlessly so, but all also deeply strange. Nearly every song is an exhaustive mini melody of pop songs, song styles, music hall, umpa horns, country fiddles skiffle boards, electronic blues, guitar riffing, monster movie synthesizers on the white coated man. Sometimes when all the horns are tooting, it can feel like you're being trampled under foot by an army of first graders. 
But then she says, but poke, or he says, but, but poke beneath the whimsy and you will find a delirious buffet approach to the American songbook, not too far from Van Dyke Parks' song cycle. So this I actually think is a, an okay review because yeah, it's being critical, but it's saying, okay, but hold on. Yeah, so there is this element. I just finished a book review and um, I was critical, but I also, you know, you, there's always something to criticize. I mean, you can't, can't escape it. But I also felt a great joy and, and beauty in reading this, from reading this book too. So, so that's why I felt like it was a well-balanced review in that sense. It's better. It's, it's getting better, as you said. Not perfect, but it's getting better. Getting better all the time. Uh, yeah, um, this is also the one that uh, Linda's voice is thin, yes, but decades of punk and a few years of SoundCloud, uh, SoundCloud rap have trained pop listeners to hear differently. There is a peculiar yowling joy to the rumpled reggae-like cover of Mr. Sandman. Um, her ear for melody was highly unusual, and she makes kinds of harmonic leaps that other songwriters did or would not. That is incredibly enticing to me as a review. That actually makes me want to go out and listen to it. Like, okay, it's something I haven't heard before. Rather than just, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, this is something that you've heard a million times before. Go and listen to Manic Monday by this band. You, you, you know what I mean? It just, it, it, yeah. he, he actually sells it, which, which is a nice change of pace, I must admit. Yeah, and then it ends kind of like uh, the other, the other reviews do. And she says she seemed to live her life in accordance with an internal compass, with sincere disregard for the opinions of observers. Okay. But it says, she liked making music. She liked taking pictures. She liked spending time with her husband. When she died, it was in Paul's arms. So not to bring up a very sad moment, but we know she did die. But I, I thought this review, this, this was fair. This was fair. It didn't come in with you know, a guard and a, a bias. And, and maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he listened to it and he goes, okay, hold on. There's actually a lot of really fascinating things in, in this record are on this record. So I thought, I thought that was nice. And he does mention she was a photographer. He says she was noted for her ability to freeze frame rock stars in moments of quicksilver humanity. See the perfect picture of Jimi Hendrix yawning or Jimmy Page making room for an older lady to pass him on the sidewalk. And I think that's really important because it places her within music, that comment. So, and, and people do that in the early reviews, but something like she takes pretty pictures is not the same as saying, have you seen that picture of Jimi Hendrix? It's fabulous, basically. So I think that that one is a really, really, really important one. You mentioned Ken Womack. Uh, let's talk about his uh, salon.com review. For many, she's at best a harmless rock and roll footnote. At worst, she's the hated woman who had a damnable gumption to marry Beatle Paul. In the annals of Beatle history, only Yoko Ono has suffered a more dismal fate. Uh, yes. I really like that one, uh, Ken uh, I've actually had Ken on the show, so I'm, I will try and be as unbiased as possible. But yeah, he's clearly aware of everything that's 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 come uh, previously. It's a very meta review. It's a very self-aware review. Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it quite hits some of the notes like the Jason Green one, where he talks about the the technicalities. Mm -hmm. I like that here. What I like about I I think they're equally great. What I do like about Womax is I do feel a bit more of a. Womack has such a nice touch when he writes. He's he's not uh, he he definitely you can tell his his background is in literature. <laughs> it's very 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 well written, and that's what I do like about it. 
I love the phrase damnable gumption as well. It kind yeah. of it does mock everyone who kind of criticized her from just marrying a beetle. I did I did I did enjoy that. Yes, definitely. It also gets onto the album itself. Uh, at its core, Wide Prairie is a whimsical LP, a deceptively simple take on Linda's big-hearted view of life and love. Songs like the title track and New Orleans are a good time rock and country and western flavour thrown through for good measure. As compositions that don't take themselves too seriously, Wide Prairie and New Orleans underscore their 1970s origins with wings helpfully acting as Linda's backing band. In a similar vein, I Got Up and Cock of the House find Linda and her famous bandmates in fine form, hustling flawless pop bubblegum with nary a care in the world. So we've got more repeated themes now of Linda not caring, that this isn't meant to be taken too seriously, uh, the idea that she's with other probably more talented musicians. Yeah, this, this is clearly demonstrating, especially when compared with the last one, that uh, the wider consensus has definitely changed. Yeah, I don't feel like it's, it's very critical at all. I feel like it's definitely more of a celebration of Linda's work, this piece. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, he says it, he says it well here. And um, he says it, he says in all the he says, Linda shows us that she can bite back and serve up a life lesson in the bargain. All the while, she never stopped having fun. So it does, it does kind of like the others skate over talking about her musical ability. Mm-hmm. In that case, it does. It kind of, and I, I find that interesting that it does that. Uh, a lot of them, a lot of them do. I didn't think Jason Green did. I feel like he actually kind of, kind of touched on on some of it. But what it, it does celebrate Linda, and that's that's nice, you know. So it does in that case. It is a, it, it is a little more puff PC than the previous one, but. You know, there's also this 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 element that you never want to be the critic that trashed a Linda album and then have to bump into Paul at the at the Q Awards. You know, you know what I mean? It would uh, just be a bit, be a bit. Well, what's awkward. the point in trashing it now? You know, and that's the thing is that's why I, I I you know I probably would have written something very similar to what Ken would have written because it's it's what what's the point? Right? There's so many reviews of that album at this point in time. It, it it is nice to see something written that does say she, she's having a good time, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. Well, in, inversely, I'd like to see someone actually stand behind their convictions. And if they do want to trash it, go for it and not and not kind of hold back with this, yeah. oh, she died, oh, Paul put it out in a moment of grieving. Sure. It'd be nice to see the the complete flip side of of the nice version, like rather than just these kind of subtle undercurrents. Oh, it's what he's not saying. Kind of reviews, like we've seen a bit of cowardice in the more negative reviews here today. That they are still kind of holding back. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like his review, but our, I like his commentary. I want to call it a review. I definitely like the commentary on it. Um, but. Yes. I'm not saying it Ken's was... a coward, by the way. I love you, Ken. Lots of love. Uh, I'd love to come on your show. We're all the same. I just want to make that clear. I want to make that clear. Oh, no. No. Yeah. I don't think there's negative. Yeah. Uh, you're an academic. You're up, no matter who your friend is, I think you're up for a fair game to be talked about positively or negatively. This, oh, this I've got, Alison, I've got a network. I've got a network here. It's all, it's all about getting, getting into the top. Waiting for someone to trash my work. Well, I've already gotten a little trashing privately from some individuals. So that's really good on my work. So that's, I love that. <clears throat> but only in a good way. And when I read it, I'm like, eh, no, you're wrong. <laughs> 
but yeah, uh, so there's, uh, there's a few more to go through. And one that I thought was interesting was um, one written by Sam Kemp called Remembering Linda uh, and Paul's ill-fated collaboration with Lee Scratch Perry. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mentioned Scratch Perry earlier. Yeah. This, this one I just thought was interesting because... Well, first, first of all, he he's way more interested in Lee Scratch Perry and his sure. studio than he is Linda and Paul, and that takes up four fifths of all the paragraphs, I believe. But he does make one. Uh, well, well, of course, the title is also ill-fated, so that kind of shows us his his heirs here. But he says the tracks weren't released until after Linda's death, appearing on a posthumous 1998 album, Wide Prairie. I can't say it's entirely to my tastes but Perry's production shines through, suffusing what would otherwise be an unspeakably monotonous record with the low-slung cool of Serge Gainsbourg's controversial reggae rendition of La, Ma... La Marseillaise. It's, a, it's La French word. Uh, I, I will post it in the comments down below. I, I just find that one quite interesting, mostly because he's quite honest in the sense that he just says, I can't say it's entirely to my tastes. And Yeah, sure. Yeah, I just I, I just think that's a nice way to put it. Uh, he's not saying it's yeah, objectively right. terrible like a lot of other people. He's standing behind the fact that it's just his opinion. Yes, I I, I don't disagree. Yeah, the def- the article is definitely about Lee Scratch Perry um, for sure mm-hmm. because he's not featured a lot. If for those who don't know him, he had Black Art Studio in Jamaica. I think we already mentioned this, but and when he does say ill fated, I don't think he's saying that it failed. I guess ill fated doesn't sound great, but. He just specifically says she didn't have a solo career. She didn't mm-hmm. have a solo career. Not that she was a bad musician or anything. But yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting one because I didn't know a lot. I had heard of Lee Scratch Perry. So when I found that one, I was like, oh, this is interesting. I didn't realize that Sandman was recorded there. But of course it was because, I mean, they, what did they travel to Lagos for? And you can hear the sounds in um, Band on the Run. And, and and it's so, Sandman is so well produced in them. With the, the, the reggae sound, of course, of course, the Scratch did it. Well, I only just found out on the last Ringo episode that I did that will probably be out just, just after this gets recorded. Love's Full Glory was recorded during the 1976 sessions for Ringo's Stop and Smell the Roses or 1973, oh, wow. maybe. Uh, it was, it was mid 70s, and yeah. like Lawrence Juba was there, so it's still very much like a wings oh. thing. Really, yeah. in, really interesting stuff. Uh, I, I yeah. thought that was a very cool footnote that like Ringo's like Paul would you come and help me rec- produce some songs yeah sure uh, Linda's, Linda's got a song is that alright yeah sure Paul put it on the record I, that, that's a lovely moment from Ringo as well I feel as well just yeah let's 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 work on Linda's song as well yeah. well what does Linda say in the Get Back uh, release she says something specifically about Ringo being a very like calming having a great demeanour Mm-hmm. Like, just watching them. I've always, if you watch, when you watch the Maisel Brothers, um, the Beatles, the it's, uh, the first visit to the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, so brilliant watching Ringo just dancing and having fun when everyone else is, and, and everyone's having fun, but then there's these moments where they go into their, their moods and they're smoking and like, oh, you know, like Paul or John. <laughs> but Ringo always just looks like he's having a great time. And he just has a smile to be too. I just... I love watching him in that as just a human. Uh, uh, I think he's fascinating. Speaking of get back, there's a great quote from Linda in that where I think 
I think it's the director of the project who's saying, you know, oh, I'm I'm a Paul McCartney fan, I'm a Beatles fan. And Linda's just like, no, I'm a fan. I'm you're you're not a fan, I'm a fan. And I, I loved <laughs> I loved how fiercely she she defended that that yeah. uh, title. I thought it was quite it cute. Was neat to see her fandom come out too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I like happiness is a warm gun more than I want to hold your hand. I'm a fan. Don't come for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, um, there's a few more. I just mm -hmm. want to hit real quick. It's funny as you highlighted some of the same things uh, as I was pointing. I was like, oh, I have a highlighter. I have a highlighter. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, there's a there's a couple of reviews, mostly online reviews. I don't have any um, big. Oh yes, reviews. in the in this area, you have to go for a lot of online reviews. I I I saw. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, and you have to pay, um, you know, a paywall for all the others. So th those reviews will come. I just need to get around. Well, what was interesting? <laughs> uh, my friend has a library card account for uh, RocksBackPages.com which is yeah. set with, uh, and there's nothing about Rye Prairie on that. There's nothing there's at all. I, I have some criticism. I love Rockback's pages when I have access to it. Uh, it is very helpful, but I do have a lot of criticism of um, the lack of certain things being on there. But at the same time, it's not really criticism, I guess, in the sense that they're building that and it's going to take time. Mm -hmm. it's going to take time and they're going to need to pull from resources and whatnot and they're doing a good job of building it mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see some more um other stuff that maybe is not considered rock criticism hopefully that will show up in, in yeah. there as well um, it's, it's it's the same reason that i i don't give the paul mccartney project any flack it's one guy building a paul mccartney wikipedia yeah, of course, of course. like oh no there's there's not quotes on vertical man i'm not going to have a go at him for that yeah i didn't mean i didn't mean criticism i just meant um it's something i hope yeah, I hope so. I would love to work for them and be one of their researchers. I would love to do that. So hey, holla at your girl. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be really good. I have tons of stuff. Let's start. I guess there are a few. There's one from Spill. There's one from YouDiscoverMusic.com, and then we also have one from RockinYC. Uh, but I don't think they're that bad. Uh, these are all 2021 and then into 2022. So it goes, it's going more on the lines of Green and Womack, mm -hmm. a little bit more between the two, because I think uh, if you put Womack and Green's review, they have a good juxtaposition against each other. Mm -hmm. Well, let's see. If we look at the Martin Chilton, Chilton one from You Discover Music, he says, uh, he, he calls the light comes from within touching. He refers to, uh, this is where you hear the, he encourages, the, he talks about the story about getting the letter from the young Paul fan. But he also says that, um, he also says that the 16 songs on the album, which were recorded between 72 and 98, are, poignant uh, are a poignant reminder of the singer, keyboard player, photographer, cook, and animal rights activists. He is he's not just listing the other, the photographer, cook, and activists like everyone else did in 98. He refers to as the singer and keyboarder, encouraging all of that together, saying, hey, not, not only was she those three things, she's these two. And you can't take that away from her. She has an album. <laughs> yeah. So I liked that about that. I liked that about that. And then, um, and he does say that, you know, that her, she, her uh, efforts were overlooked sometimes. But Paul McCartney, he's quoting Paul McCartney. He says, when, when we finally got the whole album together, we thought she'd be damn proud of this. And as she should be too, because her personality comes over. Yeah, uh, it serves as a testament to her abilities. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one as well. Yeah, I thought that was nice. I mean, so now we're in the nice area, so I don't feel like, you know, it's not the same. We're not dishing the tea 
if we go to the, the NYC record um, live one, it, it talks about that. And this is by, uh, I don't have the name right in front of me. Also, I just want to point out to people listening, we're not saying just because it's nice to Linda that it's de facto good. No, because no, not I, as, as you mentioned earlier with... Uh, what's his what's his name uh dan was it daniel uh, uh, J- uh jason green it's it's fair is is, fair. is the standard that that that, that we're looking fair. for here yeah yeah i mean there's part of me like i did say earlier that i would probably write in the same way Womack did but you know i i, I don't know if i sat down would i would i be more critical probably i don't know enough about technicality uh and when we talk about uh, technical music stuff so mm-hmm. that, that would be hard for me um but in general yeah, I, I would say that that's why I like the green one because I thought it was fair. I thought it was, and that, that, that'll go back to your look at wings in general. Because like, say if we were to do this episode on Band on the Run, it would be a very boring episode because it would just be constant praises from 73 and 74, constant praises from the 85 reissues, constant praises from the 19, the 90s, you know, and yeah. so on and so forth. But picking an album like this is far more interesting because there are people who well, yeah, and that, and 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 don't like it yeah and that's why i focused on wings for the research because what a perfect case study in rock criticism they come at a time where altamont has already happened i actually refer to it as uh, the rock writing as altamont like the the concert uh style rock or uh altamont style rhetoric because mm-hmm. the critics shift from from being critical and using the word pop to only using rock and pop as negative and all this stuff so uh, wings mm. existed on a really, in a really interesting musical landscape, a changing one, um, and and where the Beatles broke up and all of that, and how can you not be a Beatle the rest of your life? I mean, so Wings was perfect for that, and that's why when you mentioned Wide Prairie, I think, you, I don't know what topics you had, but you said Wide Prairie, and I was like, oh, let's talk about the reviews. <laughs> let's talk about the reviews, because how great will those be uh, for the re-release? Um, uh, another another review that gives the the album of me says um, this is from RockNYC.com. Uh, they say along with Cal these these and and she he mentions two other songs are reason enough for this album to exist even if you have no idea who she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you loved her for a long time, it's terrific to hear Linda's voice again. We miss her. So very reflective on Linda being gone. Uh, again in 98 that probably even that wasn't said which is interesting because she had just died at the time too and then of course i'm sure you saw the spill.com yeah this this one's very fair as well um from aaron badgley the music for her was not a driving force this is a pity because she was a very talented writer passionate singer and had a solid understanding of what songs to cover that suited her and her voice i think i said something similar earlier um yeah Yeah, and then Oh, oh yeah. go ahead. But it's the songs that McCartney has no involvement in that demonstrate that she has so much more musical talent for which she is never given credit. Listen to the beautiful and heartbreaking Endless Days. Her voice is vulnerable and she creates a mood of the song with sparse yet moving arrangements. Yeah. Like, how does that not sound enticing and so that you want to actually listen to? That sounds great. Sure. Yeah, and, and he does carry on. He says that they're all over the genre map and they are, but that's typical... That's typical of her husband as well. So uh, you just do what you love. And uh, he does say he does say the sad thing about White Prairie is that it took Linda so long to put to put it together. It ended up being her only album. That was nice. 
-hmm. And I don't mean nice as in, I don't mean, oh guys, it's so nice of you. I, I just mean it was, uh, it, it, well said. I thought that I thought that was well said on that one. And then he says, a pity really, as I think she had many more songs, stories and issues to address, but she used her other platforms such as photography, um, et cetera, to express her environmental concerns and her enjoyment for life. And man, everyone's touching that note at this point, her mm -hmm. enjoyment for life. Everyone makes note of that. And so I, I think that's really important that everyone acknowledges that as well. Not that you acknowledge it, but I mean that they did. <laughs> And I think that is all of the sources covered now. I think we've found it. Yeah, there's more out there. There's more, I'm sure you've different ones. There's more about, you know, critical ones and, and, and nice ones too. But we wanted to give you like a, a good sampling of the... Good of spread, a good spread as it were. A little taste of everything on, on those Linda reviews. But I, I wonder in 10 years if it, it's released again, which I, I don't know if it will be, you know, but if it is how, how the reviews will look at that point, will they, will they, mm -hmm. you know, will they go back? Will, you know, how, how will they look? Will we keep celebrating Linda in that sense? It would be an interesting idea. It's interesting that there aren't many podcast episodes on Wide Prairie either. It seems like something that people might be putting off. I'm going to come to it around my Driving Rain episode because that's around the time it was it was released you know, between uh, Flaming Pie and Driving Rain. Uh, I'd like to see a lot more of the new media people's opinions on it as well. Um, for sure. sure. But I, I guess in conclusion, our plenary for this podcast, if, if you want to put it in teaching terms, um, there's definitely been a shift. There's definitely been a shift and it was a lot more gradual than I would have expected. Obviously, there was a big time gap leap between a lot of our sources but um it was interesting to see that a lot of the sympathy towards linda had already picked up in full swing around the late 90s and it it really caught uh momentum by the time we get to the, the uh, re-release in in the uh, 2020s it seemed like that that would have been inevitable though because th the truth always comes out in the end you know we've had a linda reassessment we've had a paul reassessment we've had a john reassessment we've had a george reassessment ringo still kind of pursued sure. the same way um but you know i i think i think it's nice to see that everyone's giving linda a fair shot just, yeah. just, just give her a fair shot that's all that's all we ask yeah and there's others out there i always like to to point out to current scholarship, uh, of course, and we mentioned this a lot, but it's very important, Christine Feldman Barrett's um, A Women's History of the Beatles, which I know she was on your show recently, and Erin uh, Torkelson Weber, she also addresses the concept of how the Beatles have been talked about. And hers is really important um, uh, because it, it starts with the Beatles and, and how, how they've been perceived, how they were presented and all of that. So it really paves that way to reconsidering it. And I love that Christine really, really allows for stories to be told from women's perspectives as well. And not just the famous women either, the actual, you know, fans. <laughs> not that famous, not that Patty Boyd wasn't a fan, but you know, um, I, I like that there are, are other voices uh, within her book and that's very important too in this, in this day and age for sure. So, has, well, has, I was going to say, has Chrissy Hind released a biography at all? Or, or yes, she oh, has. Okay. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some interesting stuff in there, I imagine. 
Yeah, I just picked up Kathy Valentine's. Um, I haven't read Chrissy Hines before. Now I did listen to, I believe she was on Fresh Air uh, with, with Terry Gross talking about it. So I got a good, a nice little breath of it from there. And uh, I know some of Christy, Chrissy uh, Hines' history, which she's a vegetarian, by the way, if not mm-hmm. vegan, she probably, you know. Um, but yeah, that, that's one that is definitely on my list because I, I find her a very fascinating rock star. Uh, but yeah, so Sam, you asked me my opinion of White Prairie and I got, and I received yours. So if you were like some of these critics giving a letter grade, and now I know you don't do letter grades the same way we do in the US, where would you fall? Hmm? C plus, C plus, passing, passing grade, passing grade. Yeah, you know, that's actually probably around what I would give it as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not a bad thing. I, I know if you're a... Uh, some students hate, 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 hate getting C's. Uh, you know, I taught high school for a while and uh, they do not like getting C's. They think they're bad, but they're they're passing and, and a C isn't the worst grade in the world. It's not a bad grade. It's not the best grade. It's, hey, cool. All right, you passed, yeah. No, um, uh, here in the UK, I don't know if it's the same in the US, your first year of university, uh, no matter what grades you get, all they care about is pass or fail. And those grades yeah. do not translate into the second year whatsoever. It's only the second year do you have to start aiming for A's and B's and then they okay. translate to third year. Okay, like, see. People are stressing did, about like getting A's in the first year. I'm like, no, no, just pass, just understand well, the material. I, I think you know? some people, some people uh, yeah, were worried about our grades. I, when, I, um, when I did my MA in, in Liverpool and then it, the PhD was pass fail, so it didn't matter. <laughs> there were no grades. Cause they're asking me in applications for universities. They're like, um, what was your, what was your um, GPA? I was like, oh no, in England, we don't have one. Uh, but for the masters we did, and those scores are failing numbers in America. 68, which is a decent uh, score, which is what uh, merit is mm-hmm. a failing grade here. So there are, and that's not, that's not one of my proudest scores, but one of, you know, one of my classes I got that in and that's okay. But that was hard to explain I always put a note in the transcript. I'm like, this is not a D. <laughs> this is not a D. It's a, it's an okay grade, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, how many, how many are getting 80s? Very few people get 80s. I only got 100% in one exam, and that was uh, for product design, uh, which is what my father did for a living. So, I, you know, it was just easy for me. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't mean, I don't mean in the exam, but I mean in the overall course. Oh yeah. Isn't it a 40 passing? Yeah, no, no. The actual uh, score required to pass in the UK is in the lower half of points. Yeah, and this is what I was trying to explain. I was like, no, a passing is a forty. It's not a. It's not a seventy. Because here it's a seventy. Right. That that certainly makes sense. Yeah. In everything, in 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 all the high school and college movies I've seen, that that tracks. Yeah. That's why it's very confusing when you see that and you're like, oh, I failed. <laughs> you didn't fail. <laughs> They're going to kick me off the football team if I don't get my grades up. Yeah. That's, uh... that's exactly. Well, I, blah, 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 passing, failing. Um, anyways, but yeah, I, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me to speak about Linda um, and, and, and let, you know, let me talk about the reviews and speaking about them with me. I, that was so much fun to me. Uh, to go through this and and uh, really, I'm gonna. I, I know you're gonna edit this. Can I start that again? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay, Sam. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak about Linda. It was a, 
a lot of not only fun, but it, it was very interesting to go through these reviews and really consider Linda and how people have spoken about her, at least in, in the concept of wide prairie and wings. So thank you so much because this is something that I absolutely love doing and you thinking to invite me is very, very meaningful to me because I really do have fun with your show. No, no, thank, thank you for coming on. It, it, it really has been a lot of fun. This has been a long time in the making. I'm glad we've done it. Um, I just want to point out to people, maybe this is just my own paranoia coming through. I didn't just invite a woman to come on and talk about them because I think as a man that that's what should be done. But I, I always go back to that quote that Martin Scorsese said, because originally Martin Scorsese was going to direct Schindler's List and Spielberg was going to do Cape Fear. And, and they swapped because Scorsese, to paraphrase, was like, it's important for somebody who's had this experience to, to address this, this subject. And I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to have a female voice on this episode. I really, mm. I, I really did. And um, I'm really glad you were that, you were that female voice. It's, it, it, well, it's been... Any kind of music review stuff is my, my uh, specialty and my favorite. I, I can't get enough of it. So I love reading through them. And then, um, of course, I'm going to plug my chapter because yes, uh, yes, uh, hold it to the hold it to the, to the screen. It it's chapter five in words, music, and the popular um, global perspectives on intermedial relations. It's a, a really interesting text. It is an academic text, so it is not an affordable text. <laughs> But usually with, with these kind of texts, you just reach out and uh, and you find a way to read chapter. You can also get through your library. Uh, library is always the best way to read stuff. But the chapter that I have out is called um, Which Side is This ex on? A Reassessment of the 70s Rock Press Framing, Interpretation, and Consideration of Paul McCartney and Wings. And I, and I don't really go into Linda too much. The one comment I do make about Linda, well, there are a lot of uh, conversations about them both I talk about. Um, but the one thing I say is that, you know, it's another conversation with Linda because she's criticized beyond just her talents or um, in some of these critics eyes, lack of talents. She's criticized for being a female, for being this, that, and next thing. So it's, it's a whole nother issue within the rock world. So um, I'm working on that though. So things are coming. Things are coming. Excellent. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's can't wait for that that sounds really cool actually <laughs> awesome thank you so much for coming on this has been this has been a great time i can't believe i'm looking at the clock now it's been this has been over three hours now we this is going to be a big episode of paul or nothing a classic lengthy episode of paul or nothing and well, i'm sure you can edit it down <laughs> i'll edit it down to 245 uh, okay. plus plus a 32 minute intro segment where i go through seven emails and really really drag it out <laughs> Right, everyone, this has been another episode of Paul or Nothing. I've been your host, Sam Walls. I've been kindly joined today by the incredible, the indomitable Dr. Alison Bumstead. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for discussing Linda with me and, and celebrating this great woman's music and her life and all of her talents without any irony at all. Thank you so much for that. This has been absolutely brilliant. Oh, thanks, Sam. It's been really fun. Right, everyone. Take care. Peace and love. Peace and love. No more autographs. I'm too busy. No more autographs. Peace Yay. and love. Peace and love. Play us out, Danny. Let's hear no words. <laughs>